Well, I don't want to make it too light. I want everyone to get inspired or mad or something. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, we can piss people off. Yeah. Let's yeah. do that. We'll, we'll I want there. you to get mad. I want you... <laughs> wow, that was better than I thought it would be. That was I really want... good, Jeremy. I want... Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm a dork living in Portland, Oregon, who spent too many years listening to podcasts and not doing anything creative. This is my attempt to rectify that, to create and contribute something where I talk to people about their cultural obsessions and try to give some recommendations of my own. Welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. For our college newspaper. Nice. And then I wrote some stuff for our college newspaper. But never did. Never did I was on the it. yearbook team in high school. <laughs> yeah? How was that for you? It was fine. I was a, a major slacker, so... It was a good place to be because it was, it was a great place for slackers because you could hang out 80% of the time and then you just had to buckle down the other 20% of the time to get your shit done. And then it was in the yearbook. No. That's Yeah, that's what I remember from our yearbook club. Like they hung out in the yearbook room and like just did nothing. But Yeah, we kind of did nothing. There. Like we had passes. Like we could go like we could leave right. and go talk to teachers and stuff that were on break. and Talk? Yeah. Did you actually do that? Yeah, we just I, we went out back and smoked. And, you know what I mean? Like, see who else was cutting class at the moment. And... Don't smoke, kids. Don't <laughs> I, smoke. I was such a straight-laced, sad person. Um... I was pretty straight-laced, but I had a reason to be a square, uh, a non-square. Yeah. You know, I had that pass, but that was it. Mm -hmm. Oh, jeez. High school. I don't know. I don't know. We don't need to talk no. about high school. No. There's more important shit. I blanked that out. Pass. pass. My 15-year anniversary is coming up, and I'm like... What? How'd that fucking happen? Yeah. I moved to Portland the year I moved to Portland within a month of the ten year anniversary of my, my ten year anniversary. And you got to remember, I think by the time of my ten year anniversary, um, like MySpace and Friendster were things, and so you mm -hmm. you you no longer had that adrop that that curiosity of like what are these people been doing for the last. 10 years. No, I'm watching right. you fight with your current boyfriend online <laughs> and, uh, you know, bizarre medical invention that you have for your child yeah. that I do not want to be witness to because oh. I can tell you that's probably close to Munchausen. Stop doing that to your kid. Anyway. Oh, you're like a gun guy now. Great. <laughs> Real typical. Great. How many guns do you have? Your, your high school boyfriend still manages the Starbucks in our hometown and there's like three of them because I'm from Washington. So, I mean... <laughs> Sorry, that's so mean. And you are listening to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. I'm your host, Jeremy, welcoming you all again, uh, thanking you, friends and neighbors and guests. And uh, we have another packed room of um, friends and new friends and everybody here on a sweltering summer Portland day. Uh, I'm your host, Jeremy, joined by old friends and new going around the table. If you could please introduce yourself to the viewing audience. Uh, let's, see, let's start with our new guest. Your turn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name is Riley. Uh, I am the co-chair of the Portland DSA uh, Medicare for All Working Group. Um, I also am a national distributed organizer working on Medicare for All um, alongside the California Nurses Association and the National Nurses United. Um, and yeah, I'm an organizer at heart. That's what I do. Awesome. And uh, old friends joining us, if you, uh, if you would introduce yourselves to the viewing audience. Hey, this is your old pal Garrett. Um, still doing the same bullshit. <laughs> Good. And this is Natasha. Uh, you may know me as the co-host of Meta Machina, a podcast on feminine gaze fiction, or feminine gaze for fiction. But I also come here with my 
long history of hating the healthcare industry. I also work in the healthcare industry. <laughs> and yeah, on that note, the, our topic for today, as much as we have, we have, we stick to topics, is on Medicare for all and single payer and the torrid history of American uh, attempts at American universal healthcare. Do we want to give a quick shout out to our comrade Tim Faust, who yeah, could not be here tonight? That's true. We originally had scheduled this, and uh, Tim Faust, who will be in Portland on to uh, give a talk about this very topic at the Sunnyside Community Space. Is that what it's called? Sunnyside is it Community Center? Sunnyside Community Center. Yeah. Community Center. Yeah. The corner of Southeast Thirty Fifth and Yam Hill. Which I believe you can get to for if just you know take the take the uh, the number fifteen down Belmont. You hop off. It's thirty. Uh, you hop off right by the um, to the Avalon. You walk over. Yeah, sure, just go to works. Belmont and walk until you what find that nice big church. Monk? We got, yeah, we got Google, right? That's a thing. But right. hey, uh, is <laughs> but, this going to be out before the twentieth? Uh, I hope so. Okay, awesome. And maybe if I can, if he, he is able to call in, he had to uh, beg out at the last minute due to his own medical emergency. So um, thoughts and prayers and whatnot with Tim. But anyway, the topic for tonight is did want to uh, because uh, uh, comrade Tim is traveling up the West Coast, giving his uh, town to town up and down the coast speaking to her on Medicare for All, which we really, at some point, really do need to point out uh, that, yes, you know, yes, Medicare has a hell of a lot of problems. This is not, you know, what is uh, what this pro- plan will probably eventually look like will probably be hopefully be better than Medicare for All. But, you know, let us, um, you know, let's let's we, let's aim for more uh, political utility than accuracy in our in our descriptions. So, uh, and fortunately, with our collection of guests, uh, I wanted to, wanted to see if each of you could um, let's start with as in kind of like a of an opener and intro. If you could talk about your own particular uh, role in this lovely thing called the American healthcare industry, either uh, toiling in it or trying to destroy it. <laughs> um, I'll I can start because I think I have the least interesting. Uh, I, I do work for a company that I work for a nonprofit. Um, that helps underserved areas get certain medical, uh, um, I don't even, I couldn't call it medical services, but like things like broadband access, uh, um, like infrastructure. Yeah, there's, yeah, exactly. Administrative and infrastructure sort of stuff that they wouldn't be able to afford normally. And, and, and most notably a, a certain software, uh, for patient confidentiality. That's actually quite expensive and you have to buy several licenses for, but they, you know, they're a small clinic in you know rural East Oregon, for example, but elsewhere throughout the country, um, and and I think we serve a good function. But I but I, I have to say that you know, with relation to the topic that that we have today, we would be unnecessary probably if we had. I mean, our expertise might be useful, but. We would kind of, we would be unnecessary in a in a situation where we had uh, more equity in healthcare uh, because it would be something like the post office, which would be accessible to people who live in less densely populated areas and more densely populated areas. And uh, I don't want to be out of a job, but I'd like to be out of a job for that reason. You know what I mean? So that's my shit. <laughs> <laughs> Am I supposed to go next? 
Oh, dear. Okay. Well, hopefully I won't get fired, but I work for a major healthcare organization, and I work primarily in understanding insurance contracts and reimbursement. And I've been doing this for five years, and before that I was also in the healthcare industry in a different way. But my understanding of the system as it works, um, not only on a local level, but on a national level, is basically seeing how far we've come in terms of capitalism to try and destroy the lives of people by claiming that the things that they need to survive and to function are not either medically necessary or that they are not a right that they should have. And we're very, I'm, I feel very blessed to live in Oregon itself because our Medicaid population here, our Medicaid program here is actually quite good compared to the rest of the country, but at the same token, we can, I can, I've seen the flaws in the national system and the local system in addition to the major healthcare companies or insurance companies. That's my background, and I can provide a lot of wank on that. What do you do like day to day? I work in Excel all day. You work in spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I work mostly with, the, with, with um, not only the reimbursement, but how do you get paid for insurance claims? And unfortunately, it is actually a pretty complex process, and Medicare has complicated it quite a bit for the industry that I particularly work in. It only represents about 1% of total Medicare spending, but because of a history of um, fraud and theft and abuse, including you know using dead patients as you know as as a way to bill for charges it's increasingly overregulated and underpaid and it's contracted out to third parties that do not provide care to people so when you say one percent of what i'm sorry uh could you could you yeah medicare spending in the way that it's usually uh, allocated is a lot of it it goes to part a and part a is your hospital stays your in-home care your hospice um, skilled nursing facilities, that kind of thing. Um, so Part A is the majority of spending for Medicare, and that's where most of the money is being spent, Like, in, especially in hospitals, because if we've all been experienced the hospital charging process, which is completely fucked up. Because it's it, asinine. Yeah. yeah, it's done on a local, not a local, but with each individual hospital, they negotiate their own contracts and rates out with mm. the different, um, not only their suppliers, but also the insurance companies that they work with. And so that is a, you know, obviously a systemic problem, and that inflates the costs for people and that's why an emergency room visit is obviously a lot more expensive than a preventative care visit with a um, general practitioner and you know we've seen a drop off in general practitioners because that is not a lucrative field for doctors to go into mm. when they have you know six figures in medical I mean, in, in college debt and they don't want to work that field so people that are doing that um, direct care with patients that need it the most which is the people that don't go to the doctor are not, you know, obviously getting paid for mm-hmm. it. So, yeah, we live in a really, really messed up. But, we can cut that if that's going to get me in trouble, but I don't know, because it's a very small field. But but you're saying, just to clarify, you're saying that you're not part of that Medicare A, Part A that you were talking about? You're no, but I do a... work with those parts of the industry. Okay, yeah. all right. You're, like, reviewing billing and stuff. Yeah. And like, yeah. And that's, like, one of the main problems with the healthcare industry is that, like, a, a Band-Aid will cut, like, the way in which we do billing, and I've just, I'm pulling information that I've learned from, like, listening to other podcasts and just kind of understanding the issue, but um, we pull billing based on, like, on, on itemized things, so, like, on a Band-Aid yes. versus, like, a whatever, instead of doing it on, like, a this sort of, like, more standardized system that says, you break your leg, it's going to cost X amount of dollars, exactly. versus, like, we're used three Band-Aids 
on you and it's going to cost you $45 per Band-Aid. And, like, doctors are kind of just, like, throwing things out to, like, get costs up so they can get money for the hospitals or exactly. whatever. Yeah, there was a, what was it, the fa- uh, a famous viral picture of the last, like, 48 hours, in fact, of someone, like, had posted that they were, it was at each cough drop that was individually wrapped and they had an itemized cost of, like, 10 bucks American or something like that. Yeah, I think it goes down to like, you know, when they bring you cups to drink water out of, like those are wrapped and they know what those cost and you probably know more, but I was just in yeah. the hospital and I and I and I noticed how everything is individually wrapped, the most re, you know, the most uh mundane item, you know, and I don't think it's because it's sanitary. Well, you know what I mean? It is like, because it's sanitary, but it's also because everything is all itemized. Right. Well, I thought it wasn't. <laughs> and you have to understand that a lot of the um the the control of these kind of suppliers and stuff actually is a very top-down kind of thing um you know we have companies like who does pretty much all of the you know they they've got their hands in every pot when it comes to medical care and health care especially when it comes to stuff like you've you've heard of them or uh no i have not but that's okay okay anyway long long story short like the way that the the each individual organization has to contract out with these companies means that and this includes especially pharmaceuticals which is the major cost point for healthcare in America, and one that is absolutely need to be addressed before we can actually do anything good because of the fact that they, they pretty right. much control all of the lobbying and all of the shit that happens. So. Mm-hmm. All right, and so that you've heard from two people on one particular side of how the industry is structured. Now let's hear from someone help, you know, hap, who is happily working to destroy all that. Riley, your turn. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my job is to get people riled up, organize them, and get them excited about uh, Medicare for All and working towards a better system. Uh, we know that if you know if you've had any sort of experience inside of the healthcare industry, it's probably been a shitty one. Um, so part of what my job is is to connect people with those sh- shitty experiences and to underst- and get them to understand that there's a solution out there called Medicare for All. Um, so I primarily spend my time organizing others to organize their own communities to go out and have those sorts of conversations with folks so that we can build community around this um, and get people hyped up and excited to, to tear down the system. Awesome. Yeah. yeah I think it's really yeah, great that dope. you're working with like healthcare professionals that are the most jaded and the most able to speak to the fact that the system sucks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mentioned before, like the CNN and you, um, they're really the ones that are the leaders of this movement. Like I work, I work with them. I shouldn't say for them, but could you say that, what those acronyms? Yeah, California Nurses Association and the National Nurses United, which Excellent. is NNU. Um, and I work with them. I don't really work for them. Like I'm not necessarily on their payroll. But um, yeah, so they they are the leaders of the movement, and the reason why is because they live and breathe the healthcare industry, right? Um, they they're there every day. They see patients, um, and they understand how dramatically it can affect people's lives. And because of that, they're they're motivated and inspired to to be a part of the movement. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and I think as uh, Sarah Jaffe has um, covered extensively in both her writing and her podcast called Belabored, um, nurses' unions are also just much like teachers' unions because both are, you know, shockingly like, you know, uh, primarily women, um, are also like bearing the brunt of the most of the attacks right. on um, on these things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Folks, this is Jeremy just popping in here. If you like what you're hearing, why not help us uh, make the show? You can support us for as little as a dollar a month donated through our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash giving the mic. Every little bit helps. Thanks.
So we have, I could say, three slightly different uh, viewpoints on both our healthcare system and trying to work against it. I want to know if we can, uh, if we can give folks a little bit of context, a, a bit of history of education of what has come before in terms of, because it wasn't always set up to be like this. If any of you wanted to recount, it's the uh, attempts from at least the New Deal to try or the new deal or its related program the fair deal of trying to establish at least an american nhs should we at some point just uh go do a quick little explainer let uh telling folks what the difference and or not a lack of differences between single payer and medicare for all I'm wondering, is it, is it worthwhile? <laughs> I think I think for the for the purposes of like organizing, they're the same thing. Okay, um, that's like, what I would yeah, think too. Yeah, yeah. And Medicare for all, Medicare for all, like tends to to poll better, I guess. Right. So when you're talking about like whether or not Americans like the word single payer or Medicare for all, like we tend to lean by about like an eight percent margin or something like that towards mm. Medicare for all. That but makes, it's really indistinguishable. That makes sense. I I, yeah. I feel like single single payer makes. You know the the normal American voter go government, right? And yeah. then get and then get you know <laughs> and then lose their boner or whatever, right? Right. And so, yeah, that makes sense to me. Medicare for all seems to be catching hold, and yeah, right. I, I think I think that's what you know we should be doing. Yeah, one of the interesting things about um, most people don't understand about at least from my experience about uh, you know government funded insurances is that especially in America our model right now is that even with our government funded insurances a lot of those are contracted out to um, bigger insurance companies to manage so there's managed versions of these single payer systems like Medicare where you can pay a premium or not pay a premium but maybe the state contracts out with a different insurance company mm-hmm. in order to manage those benefits we've tried experimenting with so many different models in this country and it's there's so much data on it that it just seems so oblique and it's not something that's easy for people to understand they've had direct experience with working with these insurance companies and so just you know some simplifying it down to the most basic needs and like rights is actually pretty important for you know right and medicare and like the va and those single-payer systems like they actually tend if you ask the people who have them um they seem to like their insurances way more than anyone else um but there tends to be this like dissonance between like a single like what it actually means and like whether or not like if we were to move to a single-payer system like how that would actually be beneficial for more people there seems to be this dissonance because they're like no no more government i don't want government. <laughs> well, there's yeah. famously that that photo of someone holding up a sign that says keep the government out of my medicare it's like so, so a lot of people don't understand at all right like the fact that they get great ass health care is because yeah. the government's giving it to them there was, yeah there was uh, the um the, the example of um new deal was like, you know new deal messaging slash propaganda that was you know um like social security was or whatever program was just uh, depicted as the you know you've like here's your capital building you have this huge hand coming out with it's holding a check giving it to somebody it's like here yes the federal government is giving you the citizen you know money this is coming from the government and it's one of the um, it was like one of the criticisms of Obamacare is that they did not uh, they did not surface they did not reinforce the fact that you know hey this is a this is a publicly funded government program and it's you know providing you you know you know providing your ass with with uh, yeah, material why, benefit why would you want to let people know that the government's helping them live a better life why yeah. why yeah. would you why why would you want that free fucking PR and uh, uh, yeah like I could I could go on for probably this whole entire podcast about the Affordable Care Act because my direct experience with it what a mess but you have direct did, experience with it as well do Riley, right incrementalist policy exactly. didn't do enough. It's the worst. 
I want to ask Riley questions. Does other pe- do other people want to ask yeah, Riley questions? Let's just question. do the history. All yeah. right. I want to. Can I? An- I'll, I'll give my version of that. I was a history major, so like I should know more than I'm about to say. <laughs> but <laughs> this, okay. well, the, yeah, the, you know, trust me. This is this is this is a this is a dirtbag leftist podcast. Right. You know, well, that's not good necessarily knowing uh, something has has never stopped us before. It I, didn't. It so it didn't work because people were scared of the word like socialized medicine. Yeah. That's the reason why. I mean, the, it, it, point blank. And the reason it didn't work in the '40s, like they were doing enough that they could with the New Deal with like the CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps, that they were throwing enough money at it that they kind of just were like, well, if we don't get the health care, that's fine. Um, but yeah, it didn't do it. They didn't get it because it was a socialized program and because the people on the right and the AMA and these other bastards just decided that they would throw out the word socialism um, out there and it scared people away from it. So that's why it didn't work. And that's why it doesn't work today or why why, why we haven't been able to have it yet is because people are too afraid of that. We've does, been kind of skirting around that. But mm-hmm. yeah. Does anyone know when the system of patronage in which our employers provide our health care did that start you know in the 50s 60s probably didn't start until the 80s or something you know faust is here he'd be able to tell us i remember hearing that from faust yeah but well, I, sorry about your eyeballs, Faust, yeah, but damn it, we need you. Yeah the, yeah, the one history bit that I know is because after World War II ends, uh, the Atlee, it was, it, was the, uh, it was the Atlee government gets voted in, Labor Party gets uh, gets voted in, in the UK, and they actually work on an established the NHS. Right. They get the NHS. Mm-hmm. Uh, over here, uh, to my limited extent, understanding, Truman tries to do the same thing, but because the GOP got voted in and took control of like what both houses to control of Congress in like forty six, okay, from forty six to forty eight, they killed as because you know they were uh, because even back then they were still fuckheads. They killed. It was the beginning of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. So that too, yeah. The yeah. Red and and so, but yeah, they, they, in fact, I think like Truman even called them like the Do Nothing Congress or something. Yeah. But because they were in power for just those two critical years, uh, it killed any any chance uh, of an American NHS. So we, they had to work around that. And then they kept trying, but I guess they, it, they created employment based coverage out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that is that so? Yeah, that's because exactly I'm I'm interested in that history because right. we are all now wedded mm-hmm. and some of us aren't even lucky enough like 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 Natasha was talking before the show about how if you have you work for a small employer which I've done before I, my first my I'm an accountant my first gig as an accountant I worked for a company that had you know 40 employees and we had this kind of piss poor healthcare program you know what I mean and 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 now I work for a, a large-ish nonprofit and I have you know I, I I just broke my arm my my hospital bills were Seventy thousand dollars, Jesus, and I'm going to pay four thousand out of pocket. Which still, that, even that—that's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong; I'm, it's not like I'm really happy about that. But fuck, it's a lot better than seventy thousand. You know what I mean? That's how they get you. They make you think that it's like an okay thing, but that's yep. just like billing out of yeah. fucking control, right? Yeah. Well, they exactly. they inflate the price, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. Look, look how much you're saving with this program. Right. Why would you need anything better? Yeah, but when I, they control I, the cost. It makes it really easy for them to say, "Yeah, we're giving you a deal." Yeah. <laughs> Go on GoFundMe to get the rest exactly. of your healthcare. Do you ever get fun, your your fun fact about that? I was literally reading today. Uh, GoFundMe has earned over two billion dollars um, in like revenue connected. Yep, half of it. Is for medical costs. Yeah, I was just saying. I was just saying what is, uh, yeah, like I said, they, there's. The, yeah, like at one point, and what was is the yeah the the, the virus disgusting. The post that people keep making is like, what if there was one big giant GoFundMe that would cover everybody's <laughs> uh, medical costs and everybody paid into it. Hmm, I wonder what that would look like. Yeah, funny how but, that works. But such a thing has never been tried on Earth. Oh, jeez. Nor ever will it be. 
So uh, a fun fact that I like to recite that you might not know is that when you are an elderly person that has in complete critical care and needs a lot more assistance, so Medicare does, of course, do the 80-20 stuff on a lot of, of services, um, but the, the, the trajectory for a lot of people now is to spend down. It's what they call it here. And, and it's where you basically spend down everything until you qualify for Medicaid coverage to fill the gap. And so um, this is the world that we're living in and we're going to continue to live in and, and grow old and die in. And it is something that is going to be critical because, unfortunately, if you don't have the funds to do it, you're going to yeah. Unless we organize. Unless we organize. Unless we organize. And but going off, of, speaking of organizing and going off of where we left off in the history, so the uh, an American NHL was right out. And so we had the we, but they were the employer supplied coverage was secure for the moment, and as people have pointed out, and it's it's one of those structural, um, this you know this is what happens when you get when you don't let you get rid of all the uh, Marxists writing analysis of the stuff is they, they they some of them would point out that once you have. Um, especially if you are a, in a unionized operation, once you have your health care as being provided by your employer, basic medical coverage now becomes a bargaining chip. So that's, you know, in fact, we have seen, you know, just benefit and wage dampening just where you're like, well, you know, hey, we can uh, we raise your wages or we can make sure that you keep getting health care. So it becomes, you know, uh, you know, it's like another way people get trapped from just because of the fact we don't have like a more public provider for this stuff. Right. And it's kind of disappointing, even if for basic care, you know, primary care, let's say, that was negotiated for, that that, that was not attached to our employer, uh, and then more uh, more significant care was was uh, attached to our employment. At least you'd have that, you know what I mean? Every citizen would, could go to their primary care physician without, without cost, but boy. Didn't happen. It's one of those stitch in time. It's like they you sat know, around saves nine sort of situations. I, I beg your pardon. Oh, I was saying it's like they they sat around and thought to themselves, "How can we alleviate, or sorry, how can we add more burden to the working <laughs> class? Exacerbate, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah." And yeah. and that's the weird thing. Like you look in the history, or of the many, many, many hilariously produced in very odd ways uh, uh, his, uh, videos on YouTube as my research for this episode thing. Yeah, they you had we had a form of of if not full on like you know universal healthcare at least like single payer for you know almost in in almost every single administration for the longest time and it kept dying and dying and dying and you know Eisenhower couldn't get it going and LBJ got was able to get like a little you know a little bit of that stuff went through in the great society and even like Nixon stuff didn't go through so and then uh, you know Teddy and Ted Kennedy worked on it during the 70s and then Reagan came and fucked that all over and mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Reagan was responsible for the most trauma when it came to, at least my understanding of it is in terms of working with the major insurance companies and starting that push. You know, if you look at videos from the 90s, even talking about people, that was when you first started to see people like, I am completely bankrupted by my my healthcare condition. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I mean, if you guys could fill in on what I missed on the history, please, um, please contribute because I'll just talk too much. I think I lost most of my stuff. I, I really didn't actually get involved into the insurance or political understanding of it until the Affordable Care Act. So, 
And I'm happy with blaming Reagan for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Decivilization of unions, yeah. 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 And, and, also- and, you know, the fact that he basically said, hey, if you're, uh, if you have, uh, mental issues where, well, we don't give a shit. Just, <laughs> we're yeah. not taking care of you anymore. And I know there are a lot of really bad mental health facilities yep. at that time, but I think that's a smoke screen for what his conscience should have told him to do, which was, oh, then we need to take better care of them. You know what I mean? But, well, but, our drug war is a direct kind of well, yeah, analog to that. That's an excellent really. point. Right? I mean, yeah. we, do, we treat uh, addiction as, as, a, a, a moral issue instead of actually being a mental health issue mm-hmm. or a health issue pe- period you know, yeah, yeah just writ large like like um you know as far as far as i understand and this is what uh uh i've been told by a friend of the show mckendry thompson my fiance <laughs> your uh, finance uh you know that that the studies on addiction are that that people tend to get addicted to something for about 10 years and they get off of them, especially if they have steady access to that substance. And we could provide that for people relatively inexpensively. I'm sure at less cost, I, now we're going into the fucking drug war, so I'm sorry yeah, that's, for taking that, that's, it over that's, there. That's a whole other podcast. That's a, that's, Stay that's, on healthcare. That, Cut this out, Jeremy. That's like three other episodes. Yeah. I don't know when you were talking about an opioid crisis and it's happening even in this state, especially like it is part of the healthcare industry and the pharmaceutical industry in general. And uh, You're right. yeah, let's, we don't need to go on that topic, but let's just say that's a huge part of it. But I'm sorry, I don't know more of the history than what you had just outlined that anywho i i I can't uh fill in more of the gaps than you but but like do we know anything about clinton yeah the the, uh yeah during tried the early 90s yeah and that was actually hillary right Mm -hmm. wasn't she the one that tried to and they were calling it hillary care and that kind of killed it because they were like uh what's this you know yeah, the, the world was just always ready to hate Hillary Clinton for some reason. Well, the weird thing with that was like I can, like I said, I remember I was of the age where I can remember um, because Bill Clinton was elected my junior year of of high school, and I could still remember because I was st- um, I was still in high school, and we were still having to watch Channel One and seeing the updates of like them talking because they there was the thing they to their you know to their limited credit they were trying you know they were trying to do like a like a still like a, a supporting a privatized system of sorts, but um, yeah they were they were you know it's just calling it Hitler care, and I believe like the, the the failure of that one was kind of a thing where even like by that point by the by the the construction of the, of the democratic party was such that like other democrats were openly attacking it and uh, yeah. and like their support and so the republicans well, didn't really have to do all that much to kill it that well that yeah that was when sort of uh, democratic uh um infighting was really was really uh, chic <laughs> but uh and then and then you know to fast forward a bit so clinton didn't get really anything done that i know of on healthcare oh it died it, like uh, by, by like 94 and then so now you know you got to fast forward well you got medicare part d which was just part of george bush's irresponsible you know spending and then you get to obama that you know then you get the aca and that's really the last if you can call it a victory <laughs> that we had on healthcare yeah and and you know from what i understand clinton's health plan was about mandating for Businesses with more than five thousand full-time employees. Oh, great! great. Yeah. <laughs> like most businesses. Yeah. So the, the affordable, uh, no, maybe people know this um, in terms of the way that the Affordable Care Act worked. It created mandates for companies that had fifty employees or more. So that was part of that. Um, mm-hmm. And and they also, of course, had the individual coverage that you could purchase on the open market. And if you are you know, and then they expanded Medicaid for all uh, the states that decided to, to right. um, opt into it. 
but you're still when you're talking about the coverage that you get on the individual market and in these smaller employer group based health plans it still absolutely fucking sucks right like so who here has had a a a marketplace healthcare plan we are we are does, raising hands. So two of us. How much yeah. was your premium? Does do it didn't did, did mo- no? I think no. I, I think, think even I like Moda. Either. I think I was like covered. <laughs> Good. I can't remember. I don't think. Well, I did, did you go on the website and pick a healthcare plan? No, I did not. I think Rachel might have at one point. Okay. So I have a little story about this. Okay. In terms of Oregon and the way that they expanded coverage and the way that they these insurance companies um there's many of them obviously that took on this mar- these markets, almost like probably about. of them pulled out within the last few years or went out of business or all these kind of things. They started co-ops. They did all these things. These companies are no longer even existing anymore. I've been on it twice, and and I noticed from the first time, which was relatively soon after the the program was instituted, and then the last time, I think, was last, early last year. Yes. And and there was a huge drop-off in what in the amount of providers you could get and enormous and it was more expensive it was like you know you know maybe you know twice as much as i remember yeah these businesses could not ha- oh, so these insurance companies could not handle the influx of people from these um from the individual market on the same token oops sorry <laughs> on the same token they also couldn't handle the costs when they didn't get reimbursed by the federal government like they expected which is what happened i think that was one of the major points of things is that the payout that was supposed to happen to subsidize that care never happened. Why is that? Do you know? Um, is it just Congress didn't approve the payments? or It's pretty fucked up. I'll look it up on the okay, break. Yeah. But... Do you want to take a break then? Uh, sure. Let us take a break. We will be right back. <laughs> Smoke them if you got them. So while Jeremy is away from the mic, I will now perform a single person act on the risk corridor and the fact that uh, Tim Faust, if he was on this call, would have corrected me immediately and I feel so bad because I do listen to a lot of heavy medicals. So, you know, release another episode. It's been since April. I know that you're busy, but, you know, I want to hear more Kelly Joe and more metal recommendations from her. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Right now, um, so the, the top case that got into the market, uh, not in the market, but like was from Moda. Moda is a local healthcare, uh, sorry, a local insurer that has, you know, basically represents a lot of Oregon's population because they've been able to contract without without a lot of the major organizations here, including, for example, the state teachers uh, education board. So like PEB, I'm sure you're familiar with that. They're a big body. They can negotiate for really good health care. We represent them, too, in, not in but like certain health care insurers do. And so Moda was promised as entering the, in, the individual market, which we had the cover Oregon thing that really sucked. And they pulled out. Um, a lot of companies pulled out of Washington. Um, Pacific Source pulled out. Uh, not Washington, sorry, Oregon. Washington, too. Across the river. Yep. <laughs> I only say Washington because we deal with a, we deal with the Washington population as well. And their Medicaid crisis was really interesting because they lost a few companies that had done managed Medicaid as well. So 
Yeah, the Affordable Care Act was putting a lot of the costs on the insurance companies who are obviously shitty. and But they're doing what they can with what they have. And yeah, so the risk corridor payments were supposed to be in the millions and billions. Um, they were denied by the Congress that we are actively living with, and that's was expected, but still sucks because we all know that Trump's main goal was to fuck with everything that Obama ever did, even if Obama didn't do that much. Um, so, yeah, that's it. Good times. <laughs> now we can move on to the fact that beyond living in a shitty, shitty fucking country with shitty fucking health care and our reform being completely down the toilet, we can do reform very easily because this is something that affects every single person. Yeah, and their children and, you know, anyone that they love. And we're back. Okay, listeners uh, listeners and viewers at home, you have heard a lot of, let's see, how we have come to be here. Should we cover any more about how things are or, or how things got here? Or should we tr transition into one of the reasons why we brought our guest Riley along to talk about how to begin to work against the current uh, horse shit we are uh, currently all subject to? I think the second... One. Let's that, be positive. I think, yeah, I think we all know that the healthcare industry is fucking shit, and so yeah. uh, what are we going to do to get past that? All right, Riley, this is your uh, this is this is your arena. How do we even begin to start uh, working against this? Yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, to, to start, I mean, we all know that the insurance companies are not going to let us have this, right? They're going to continue to throw money at the issue. They're going to continue to lobby our legislators to make sure that we stay in this bullshit system so that they can continue to profit and they can continue to throw money at themselves. So the only way in which we're going to have political power is if we use our voices. And that means that we need to go out and have conversations with each other about how shitty the healthcare industry is so that we can have a shared experience of that and then rally around um, a, a better system. And that better system is right in front of us, and it's called Medicare for All, and that's what we're pushing towards. So when we go out and when we canvass, whether you're canvassing with DSA, whether you're canvassing with the nurses, whether you're canvassing with any just like local organization, um, the idea is you're going out and having conversations with people about how shitty the healthcare situation is, you have a shared experience about that, and then you explain how there's a better system available and then you you know you inoculate people into the issue and then you move them on and you you bring them into the movement and bring them into the fold um so that they will then come out and canvas with us and continue to do that and when as we continue to do that and, and over time we will build the political power to be able to make our legislators buy into this issue because when they understand that their constituents are on board with this i don't care how much money they're getting thrown at them um when they know that the over 50 percent of their constituents care about this issue, they will then have to vote in favor if, for it if they want to keep power. Exactly. Yes, exactly. It's, it's whether they uh, whether they agree with it or not, whether they think it's a moral issue or not, it's just the fact that they know that uh, they will be voted against, you know, right. in mass. Vote them out. It's, yeah. gr it's great to show them. Hey, we don't care what you think. This yeah. is what we think. The, and it's the, uh, it, it was the, the one thing I did want to mention is a useful example of this kind of dynamic um, and one that doesn't get talked about enough because the um, even like um, the non non conservative like media types that we have talked about don't don't think in these terms. 
and because of well, listen to a bunch of other of our previous episodes and uh, some of the other LSD podcasts that get out there about, for example, the reason why. Um, uh, a schmuck like uh, Marco Rubio votes and he has like a top rating with the NRA is not because he accepts money from them. It's a nice thing. The reason why he votes, unless I am wrong, and please correct me. Uh, well, you folks in the room, correct me. Everybody else on the internet, go fuck yourselves. I don't want to be corrected. <laughs> no corrections. No, no, no apologies. No corrections. Uh, the reason why um, Marco Rubio uh, votes all the time is that because, especially in Florida, the NRA has a massive mobilized voter base who will, you know, come down like a like a motherfucking hammer against him if he doesn't. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw the same like sort of prong happen. Just to give a shout out to Austin DSA, they ran a amazing program where they were running for they were doing Medicare for all at the national level, but then they attached it to something at the local level. And in Austin, they did not have paid sick leave for their workers, and so they went out and they had conversations about this, and they had the same sort of canvassing model where they were going to exponentially grow it and like talk to as many people as they can, knock on every single door. And eventually, after talking to enough people, they got enough people signed on to Austin paid sick leave and their legislators uh, gave it to them and they and they got paid sick leave um, in Austin. And that was because of the organizing efforts that they put in. And when enough of their constituents like let the legislators know, like, this is something that we want, they gave it to them, which is a kind of a bullshit way to put that. But I mean, it is. It's true. It's that's that's what that's what pushed the movement. Yeah. Ultimately, it comes down to that. Yeah. What? uh, So when. So when you're so so if I understand correctly, like you're you're trying to help other people prepare to have conversations about Medicare for all, basically. Mm-hmm. So, um, like so you must as part of that talk to them about dealing with people that are resistant, but but they're not they're not you know just slamming the door in their face. Like like, um, what do you? Are there tactics or ideas that you throw to them to be like, hey, this is how you get people to, this is how you connect with people on a basic level and then like draw them into this larger conversation. I, these things for me, like I'm I'm sort of like socially sometimes kind of an idiot, and it's really it's really helpful to me to go like to know like how do you talk to people who are reticent to hear what you have to say. Yes, I think the uh, uh, piggybacking on that. Yeah, the, I think a lot of times, and in, in much of the talk that I've heard about this, there is much like any time you deal with any sort of a theoretical thing, there's a lack of examples. Mm-hmm. And my own particular, you know, the way that I particularly learn is through example and to build off of that. Right. I think I think that like like you and and perhaps me and and perhaps Natasha too. Like like you know tend towards a little bit the analytical and then we want we want oh i'm hella yeah yeah yeah. i know you are well Uh, okay i'm more i'm more i'm flattering myself that i am too but uh i'm more continental than analytical but anyway (laughs) you're you're looking for the example like what do you say to somebody like how do you walk through this conversation i mean it in a sense that like i am kind of socially stupid in certain ways and and it's nice to be like i i 
I don't what want... Garrett's trying to say is that we're all just a bunch of fucking nerds and we don't know how to talk to people <laughs> and that we need some really easy talking thank points. Thank you, Natasha. Yeah. No, so, don't be sorry. I just said thank you. So, I mean, there's a whole host of like just like talking points that you can use and, and go online and find. Um, but like what I'll, I'll give you more of like, like concrete examples and even like a tactic or a tool that you can use while That'd having be great. a conversation. Go so the, the, the first thing is, is to recognize that like we have all had shitty experiences in the healthcare system. Every single one of us. So when you're out talking to the out talking to somebody about it, you want to open them up and get them talking about their shared experience um, because we know that it's shitty. So once right. you can pull that out a little bit of somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I did whatever and I had to go to the ER and da, 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 whatever, whatever it is, you get them open up and talking about yeah, it. Like I remember when I was young and I was just getting health insurance, mm -hmm. it was like, I don't know how this works and mm -hmm. no one explains it to you. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? Like, like. Like that was just an initial frustration. That's and that's when you're healthy. You know yeah. what I mean, theoretically. Yeah. And so the the shared experience could be that it was just fucking hard to get into the system. Mm -hmm. um, and so then once you've opened that up a little bit, you want to share a little bit of your own story, a little bit of like why this issue has been bullshit for you and bullshit for me. And once you've done that, then you can really work to then the next step, which is to inoculate the person into the issue and make the case for Medicare for all. Um, and w depending on what the issue is or that the individual brought up with you, you can then, um, that's how you're going to draw your make your case. So if it's that it was hard to get into it or whatever, and it was hard for me to get into it, like Medicare for all would be a much simpler system because everyone would just fucking have it. So mm -hmm. we wouldn't have to get into it. Right. If it was that I couldn't afford it. Right. Um, I, Whatever, yeah, if it was, a, I couldn't afford it, then you would then draw into the issue of, well, guess what? You wouldn't have to afford it because it, you would just have it already. It would come out of your attack, it would come out of your paycheck automatically, and mm -hmm. it'd be something that we we're all paying into as like a collective. So you wouldn't have to afford it because you'd already have it. So if I'm that person and I go, well, it's coming out of my paycheck, mm -hmm. what do you say to that? Yeah, so a person who like already has employment cover, like yeah, employment yeah. based coverage. Yeah, so then I would work into drawing a little bit, pulling a little bit more of what that's like for them, right? Um, like how much are you? How much is coming out of your paycheck, right? How, like, and they'll give you an X amount, or maybe they won't, or whatever. Yeah, let's say it's like eighty dollars. Yeah, it's coming. It's eighty bucks. So, and you're if you're getting employer cover, co employment employer based coverage, and you're only you're paying eighty dollars, your employer is paying like another eighty percent of that. So mm. let's say whatever that math works out to. Um, um, and you work into saying, okay, well, great. Like that's money that could be going back into your pocket. That's money that your employer wouldn't have to be paying for your coverage. And that's money that you could be seeing back into your own pocket. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, there's depending on what the issue is or what they bring for a workaround, um, you know, you can, you, you just kind of build off that. So another question is, um, are there sort of, uh, sort of frequent re retorts to what you say like like, mm -hmm. like like what are the common uh uh uh, uh feedback negative feedback you get besides like, america yeah yeah <laughs> besides that like 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 concrete like like i mean the two well, biggest... i think x will happen or blah blah, blah you know what i mean like, yeah the two biggest ones are like how are we going to pay for it and then also like i don't think our legislators are going to give it to us or i don't think we're going to get that like yeah. i might agree with you i think this is a good thing but like we're never going to get there um yeah. so i mean yeah and I, that's when you go you're a baby <laughs> 
and we don't need you. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, no. we do need you. Do, no, I'm kidding. We need, we need you. Yeah. We need you. So uh, where are you going? I would explain to that person like that says, how are we going to pay for it? I'd say, we're already paying for it. And like, I totally understand what you're getting at. And that's actually a common question that we hear all of the time. But the thing is, in the American healthcare system, we're already paying for it. And we're paying more than any other, like, you know, quote mm-hmm. unquote, first world nation in the in the world. Um, and so moving into a Medicare for all system would actually, I mean, based on the Poland studies and different studies that have come out, like the, we would actually save money by promoting mm-hmm. to the system like this. I don't know if you all know this, but like a fun fact that you can throw out to people when you're talking to them is, you know, for to, to, to every dollar that you pay into the to pay for your health insurance, about 25 percent to 30 percent of that goes straight to administrative costs. Yeah. So that's. Thirty cents on the dollar that's just going straight to the fucking healthcare yeah. insurance to like their marketing exact departments and stuff like that. And if you look at Medicaid or Medicare and you know the VA and stuff, the administrative costs on that's like more like two percent. Yeah, five. Is it that low? Two yeah, percent? Yeah, it's like sub five, and it's been like that for so at least yeah, like twelve years. The way years. that those programs work is that they don't have that upfront administration that happens around not only enrollment but also claims billing. Um, payment, recoupment, all that kind of stuff. Like the way that Medicare works is that they'll accept all claims and they'll reject them or do that, but then they'll have an audit. And so that's how they deal. They don't deal with it proactively the way a lot of major health insurance companies are doing in order to contain costs. Or they just pay money into the advertisements so that they can compete against other people in the right. free market. Yep. Yeah, because yeah, free market. We, you know, it's like we yeah we look, um, even our own in our own city you can see. What up to five? Up, to, you know, on say on just just motoring off to the day job, you can see at least five billboards uh, on your commute. Yeah. Um, for different of, health insurance companies, yeah, for Absolutely. just like of like competing. I think, like, why the fuck is this? You know, it's it's kind of you know similar to how like. Um, uh, prescription pharmaceuticals were were now were allowed to start doing TV adverts in the early aughts, thanks to the Republican yeah, Congress. The entire world is looking at us and going, "What the fuck?" Except for New Zealand, but yes, yeah. other than that, because like it's, it's like yeah, the only two countries that allow um, that allow like you know uh, uh, prescription drug adverts are like us and I think like New Zealand. But what's up, New Zealand? So another uh, thing that you could use for like, you know, uh, it's kind of like an organizing tool, if you will, while having conversations with people um, is this five step process called the response cycle and just a little bit of background on the response cycle. So we've been working with people, uh, particularly in the UK and from the UK's Labour Party and the group Momentum. And these mm-hmm. are the Hell folks. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. Shout out to Momentum. Woo. Yeah. Um, and these folks, uh, they're the folks who, for those of you who don't know, they got Jeremy Corbyn elected. Yeah. Right. Um, the boy. The absolute boy. Yeah. Well, he elected to. Head of the Labor Party. Yeah, but he's going to be the next Prime Minister. Jeremy. Okay, yeah, he, yes, he is. So, <laughs> so yeah, Jeremy. So Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy was be was behind in the polls. Let's just like point this out. So yeah. he was super behind in the polls. Um, and the Labor Party and the, this group momentum was like, well, how are we going to recover from this? Like, what are we going to do? And they're like, well, you know what? Like, let's just go out and talk to people, and we'll develop this process. And they actually had some um, organizers from the Bernie campaign. After the Bernie campaign dissolved, uh, they went to the UK and they're like, we're going to help you guys out. We're going to take some of these tactics that we've learned on having door-to-door conversations and we're going to share those with you and they refine them um, and what they did is they went out to, when they went out and had a listening conversation with folks and they said like if we could create a model for like how to have a conversation what would it look like and how can we make sure that we're a listening to people be acknowledging and validating their experience and then you know making a case for for our candidate um, and they developed this thing called the response cycle and since since all of that uh, has 
has happened, they have now come and begun working with uh, CNA and the NMU um, on our Medicare for All campaign in the United States. And um, it's something, it's a model that we've now like refined again and are using here. And it, what it is, is it's a five-step process for having a conversation with somebody um, that you can literally walk through when they raise an objection or want to talk about, you know, whatever it is that they want to talk about within the healthcare industry. Um, so step one of that process to, is, and it sounds ridiculous, but just listen. Um, and Not ridiculous at all. Actually, they've, I mean, psychological studies have shown that the way to get people to change their minds on stuff is to contextualize it within their individual experiences. That's mm-hmm. the only way that you can, yeah. period. Mm-hmm. People connect with the issue on an emotional basis. And a lot of us, you guys mentioned before that you're very much of the intellectual types and like, love to read and like get facts and statistics. People will actually shut down when yep. you start throwing that stuff. Yes. <laughs> what? You know, hey, uh, that's what, why I'm asking you questions. No, for real. No, it, and I, thought, I thought facts and logic and uh, <laughs> oh wait are you a, a, a political pundit now i thought the secret to politics was that if you just give make the best argument everyone will go right. oh that's right, right and then do what right. you want to do i think yeah. that's how trump won actually wasn't it so goes the rumor. folks i'm really good at <laughs> numbers yeah hey i'm really good at numbers I'm like oh he's good at numbers you guys so step one you listen to folks and you you and step two is you acknowledge their experience right you validate it you make them understood that they know that what they're going through is real because it is and and most other folks are also going through that experience so after you've listened to them and you've acknowledged and validated their experience it's your then opportunity to share a little bit of your own experience because again people connect with experiences on an emotional level and they want to know that the person that they are talking to is another human being um and so you get your it's your opportunity to share a little bit about your own healthcare experience it's not an opportunity to go on a monologue it's not an opportunity <laughs> to share like all of the facts that you know because people will immediately put up a guard about that kind right. of thing right well this really is a part three of the of uh, organizing 101 that <laughs> we recorded with Seamus last week that's yeah, good is. that's good i mean yeah. organizing is the most important thing. A, That's the, I'm convinced. I yeah. believe that everyone needs to have these organizing tools in their tool, be- tool belt so when they're out having conversations that they're having structured yeah. conversations that will motivate, inoculate, and radicalize people into these issues. And Seamus said yeah. in, 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 in that episode, he said it's a lost art. It's not something mm-hmm. that you can go take a class on or there's a great handbook for. Like There's a few mm-hmm. texts you can read, but mm-hmm. it's something that like word of mouth is important for because... Uh, because the landscape is always shifting. But anyway, I'm sorry. Go on. No, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so it's your then opportunity to share your your shared experience. And so, once you've shared experience, you've made that sort of like connection with that individual. I'm a human. You're a human. Then you're then uh, going to try and, and make your case for the issue. And this is where you can like use a couple of facts or a couple of things. And it can be even it's something as simple as like the healthcare is is shitty on your side it's shitty on my side and like it's shitty for everybody and that's why medicare for all could be a better system or is a better system right it's your opportunity to say a little bit about why medicare for all is the better system and then step 5 of this is to ask them to join you ask them to join your movement to to, to sign your petition to come out and have these same sorts of conversations with their own neighbors yeah. mm-hmm. um and yeah and the reason it's called a cycle or the response cycle is because um, a lot of times people will bring up the issue of like, well, how are we going to pay for it? You move all the way through the response cycle. Well, we're already paying for it. I've had to pay for it. We did Right. You move all the way through and then they're like, you make that ask for support or like ask, will you come join us? And they're like, yeah, I think that's a really good idea, but I don't think our legislators are going to let us have it. And so what do you do? You start at the top of the response cycle and you say, 
Yeah, no, I totally hear you, and I understand that. And actually, ah. we hear that a lot. Um, and we don't think our legislators are going to get the, get that. And that's kind of what drawn me to this movement. And what's got me involved is because I don't think we're going to get this just offhand. So I've decided that I'm going to go out and have conversations with my neighbors. Will you join me? All right. Yeah. I will join you. Excellent. Thank you. I've you been, can, you it worked. Me, so. <laughs> I inoculated you. Look, you're going to come out and do it. Yeah, yeah. I know. No, I'm so I'm terrified to talk to people about anything. So yeah, I I, I mean, strangers. Out. I mean, yeah, I uh, when I uh, I have canvassed before, but only if I if I have another person there with me to canvass, I have no problem whatsoever. Um, I then took a ten year break in it, and when I tried it again solo, I'm like, no, it's like the um, my own my you know my own comorbidity of my you know the anxiety just yep, skyrocketed. Gotcha. Well, yeah. hey, Jeremy, I've got an idea. You've wanted a dog for a long time. Get a dog. <laughs> so I would, say, canvassing with you. I would say that everybody has those experiences of like being like, I don't think I can do this or I don't want to do this. Yeah. So, um, okay. Yeah. So you got, you've got a potential volunteer on the line, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, here's the thing, though. I am terrified of knocking on someone's door and having them hate me or just. Even not that. Just I'm just I don't know how to start the conversation. I know you went through the cycle, mm -hmm. but I mean, like, I think that's a really valid thing. How do you address it from actually... a social anxiety perspective? Yeah, no, I mean, so there's a couple of different ways in which we can do that from an organizer's perspective and like organizing canvases and, and having hosts organize their own canvases in their own areas. I mean, like the first thing is it's like you're never going to do this alone, right? We're not going to like send somebody out who's never canvassed. We're going to put you in pairs because it's safer that way. And yes. Like, we'll yeah. be, right. So that's like step one here. Of course. See, that's no woman. That Ever was like I'm gonna go canvas on my own right, unless right. I was forced to. Right. Yeah, um, excellent point. Thank you. To see, that's the sort of shit I never think about. Yeah, and you wouldn't until you go come and try it. So right. you should come out and canvas with us okay, on the we'll 14th do. on this next Saturday um, in in Portland. We'll this be coming Saturday. This coming Saturday, um, and then we'll actually also be doing it. We've been talking about Tim Faust. He'll be on the he'll be here on the 20th. Friday, um, yeah, Friday, right, yeah, the, the Friday, the uh, uh, July 20th. Yeah, I think this will come out after we've done our first canvassing session, but he'll come out to Tim, the Tim Faust event will happen. Then we'll be out canvassing uh, a couple Saturdays after that. Okay, I'll nice. do that. I'll get on that. I'm yeah. not ready for this Saturday. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'm moving, we'll but there. I'm definitely going to be in on this next one. Yeah, because I think I feel I can talk about this a yeah. little bit. And, you know, I hear from people who have said, like, uh, there's some DSA members in Portland who have said, like, oh, I don't know how I feel like chemistry. I don't think I could ever do it. And then they come out and they try it and they love it. Yeah. You know, there's no better uh, feeling than going out and finding other supporters that care about this issue and signing them up and bringing them into the do movement. You, yeah. Do you encourage people to, to canvas in their zone? Like their neighborhood? So, yeah, we, we, quadrant. We, we try and structure it, right? So, like, we go out and we have, like, a central Canvas loca launch location where we all meet up and we train people. And then, you know, we go out into, like, specific neighborhoods um, and Canvas. So, they're very structured in that manner. Um, but mm. if you want to grab a clipboard and, clipboard and go out on a Saturday, like, do it. I would totally advocate for that. Okay. Groovy. Yeah. Um, the, another thing to consider with, like, if you have any sort of anxiety about canvassing, um, especially for this Medicare for All issue, is that the majority of people support this issue. They're, the study just came out that says... Overwhelmingly. Overwhelmingly. 60% yeah. of Democrats, don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, non-party preference, whatever, 60% of American voters support this issue. Among Democrats, that's 78%. Do we know what the numbers are in Oregon? 
oh, I don't know, particularly in Oregon, but I mean, I'm, I would imagine that they're mirrored here. I mean, we're a pretty blue state. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, it's... And we have actually a very large aging population and a lot of people that are taking care of people in their homes. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge yeah. thing here. That pioneering spirit. <laughs> yeah. So you might think that people are going to, like, close the door on you or yell at you or talk about but you, what you'll actually find is that people are on board. They just need to hear that somebody else is out, out there talking about it and has that shared experience. Yeah. And they will sign up. I guess this is like, as far as issues go, this is this is not like, hey, we're, hey, I'm here to help abolish prison. And then it's just, you know, there's or sliding. I'm here to save the wolves. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> and like, I hate wolves. No, <laughs> I've actually signed up for that. I'm okay with it. No, but, you yeah, know. I, I, with, I, with murdering wolves. No, no saving. Wolves. Oh, thank no, God. No. With, okay. Yeah. With, it's, it's the group is called Bark. But yeah. yeah. Thank you, Bark. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. I get emails from so Bark. What I, I think what we, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, and I think this is a really great um, add-on for people that do feel anxiety, because one of the things that, I mean, I, I do have it, and, you know, I'm going through medication changes right now, and I'm like, how do I get out of the house? How do I talk to people um, without going through, like, the stages of trauma and depression and fear? And um, when you think about the fact that this is such a universal issue, you have an experience that somebody else will appreciate. And being able to share that is really important. And I also think that we talked a lot about how how you can get people on your side a little bit, too, is also to offer them knowledge that they might not have had. Because we talked about the fact that, like, in Oregon, people don't know that they qualify for Medicaid. We are actually have a really high, like 135% FPL, like lip cap on it. So some, what does FPL stand for? Uh, federal poverty limit. Ah, okay, gotcha. So if you can actually bring education to people in a way that helps them directly, that is like the best practice. Oh, sorry, the best practice, right? I mean, um, I even like, oh, you're having a baby, you know, you qualify under the ACA for a free breast pump mm-hmm. through your insurance. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm not having a baby, but that's great news. It is. So like. There's there's stuff to be offered, and it doesn't have to be from the perspective of, you know, like these stats and all these numbers. Mm. It just has to be from, like, I'm a human, you're a human, we're both going through this together. Right. What would you like to be a human to? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. One uh, Actually, that, that does give me an idea. Um, transitioning, well, on, I should say also piggyback, piggybacking on that, that um I don't. We didn't get this into our last episode that was literally called Organizing 101, but one of the things that, that I think that's, it's worthwhile to talk about here is the, um, the um, psychological slash emotional benefits of actually, like, logging off and getting the fuck out there and actually, like, talking to people about this, like... Um, you know, not only you know, not only talking to people, like I said, getting politically active um, has massive uh, emotional benefits because of the fact that everything that we are constantly besieged by with is by uh, tends to be generated by what seems to be like a lot of like professional media folks who are freaking the fuck out and transmitting that fear to everybody else and it's like hey you know there are ways around this that we can better do it and think and as um jeremy for a person like yourself could you give an example of that of of a person of a media person freaking out as you put it uh turn on turn if you if you are one of the few who either has uh, a cable subscription or um your parents uh is sharing their cable login with you 
yeah, turn on the uh, cable news and just kind of like just just watch the the, the tenor or shit. Even like yeah, turn okay. on. Certain... I think y'all missed the civil war that happened. Alex Jones was <laughs> freaking out about that. I woke up too late. I <laughs> I drank too much listen, the night before. Listen, folks, is it, you know you know Ken Burns says he's you know he's done talking about the Vietnam thing, but I'll tell you what, there's a thing coming out here. He's gonna get a whole new series about this. He's gonna, he's gonna get completely wrong and lie, and he's gonna obscure it all. But it's kind of thing. It's like civil war part two is coming. Like, you know, Marvel had the civil war part two of that. It was kind of shitty compared to the original one, even though I made a movie out of it. And a whole series. Okay. Anyway, the, the, rest, the, the rest, benefits of canvassing. You, the, you're you're all very right to touch on that because it's something that like if you are worried about it and like not into it by going out and actually talking to our neighbors, we move into a place where we're like, hey. Others care about this, and you feel motivated and empow- empowered to and like, connected. And is that your experience? Absolutely. Okay, that's experience. excellent. That's- because it is one of those things where, if it went well, it would be one of the greatest experiences of my life. If it went poorly, it would be perhaps the worst experience I, of my life. I would almost promise that it would not go. Poorly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Listeners at home. See, sorry. this is a social anxiety thing. Just talking. I, I feel you completely. <laughs> but usually, I think any time that you have a conversation with another person, it does build you up. I, I think that there yeah. is a we, we 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 get so used to this sort of like uh, gated version of reality by yes. being online constantly and posting, where it's sort of like you have the time to respond and do everything. But when you're talking to somebody, and it's always I think people open up a lot more because. They're just genuine human experience. I know that people actually. I think people are hungry for people to knock on doors too. To be honest with you, used to be like, used to be like, oh god, the Latter Day Saints are coming up my doorstep, but not anymore. I'm like, I have, uh, I have theological opinions. People think that today that the uh, the revolution is going to be like one through Facebook or something, but no. I can guarantee you that it's wrong. Yeah. yeah, organizing does not happen on Facebook. It does not happen on Twitter. While it might be a vehicle in which to radicalize people and get them brought into the movement a little bit, it is not where the actual change happens. The yeah. actual yeah. change. Yeah. I mean, I think that talking the to people, Ocasio Cortez. I mean, it's a total example, testament, right? Total testament to it. Yeah. I mean, you know, she did this interview on the Dig. You probably have all heard it. And she just said stuff where it's like, oh, yeah, like it That's should have been the most obvious thing in the world. Like, like she said something to the fact like uh, the establishment Democrats aren't doing this. And it's like, oh, yeah, they're not doing this. We could do this. Like, while I wish this wasn't the truth, it is the truth that the Democratic Party for a long time, for a very, very long time, has not invested resources in organizing in on, on the ground. And so because of that. We were able to exploit a lot of openings. We give yeah. a shit about this, you know what I mean? Like, Millennials have been so wrapped up in technology and stuff that we forget that, like, oh, there's this actual world happening right. around <laughs> us, and, like, we yeah. should go and engage in it. Um, um, and- I'm Gen X, and it's just like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Gen X engineer, so it's like, yeah, it's, it's not like it's, 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 the, uh, it's not exactly like it's a generational uh, You know, you're kind of thing. like a token millennial, Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> We've definitely adopted you into Yeah, you're in, dude. That's the first time I've ever <laughs> referred to it as a token, yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Tim. I'm Jeremy. Nice to finally uh, get a chance to talk to you. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to to, uh, to catch up last week. I hope your eyes are doing better. Yeah, sorry, I'm all over the place, man. Usually, I'm giving tours between or giving a talk between like seven and nine p.m. Having a lot of shit with my own with uh, with eyes kind of got in the way as well. But uh, now, I, let's do this. Rock and roll. No, that's great. Just want to check in and just say how's the how's the tour been going? You've been well, you've been at it for like over a week now, haven't you? How's the how's your West yeah, Co- is, uh, your West Coast jaunt? 
Yep. Uh, so far, great. I mean, I started in San Diego. Now I'm heading up to Sacramento. Now I'm in Sacramento. So uh, got about another week on the road, and I can go back home. Awesome. Uh, so, so far, it's been great. Everybody's committed. Everybody's fighting. You know, it's a uh, we. You know, we are in an era of perpetual crisis and catastrophe, and you know, so many things happen all at once that are all pretty urgent. It's all pretty appreciative of folks. I'm out talking about healthcare. Yeah. How's the How's the energy level? How's the How the crowd's been? Or you know, however the the attendance, as it were. Oh, wonderful. I mean, this is a this is a pretty easy thing to organize around. You know, like uh, um, it's an imminent crisis that affects all of us. It's pretty easy to. Uh, relatively easy to organize around, and uh, just been happy to help give folks maybe what they need to, uh, um, maybe you know, uh, organize further. And it's always nice talking to folks. You know, I, wherever I go, someplace I can get a little talk, and somebody shares with me, you know, something real personal, real vulnerable. And uh, it's tough, but it's a real honor, you know, to uh, uh, kind of be to share with somebody that kind of glimpses a better world. And I feel like I uh, have a chance to kind of pay forward what uh, what I've been given. Excellent. Yeah, we spoke with Riley, who is uh, one of the leaders of the uh, Medicare for All campaigning. I guess the working group or kind of the campaign for local area. You've pretty much been give, giving these talks on the road for it's been like a, what, a, like a year and a half now. How long has it been? Like, a little under a year. I went on my first actual tour um, in October of, of last year, and uh, you know when I have free time or when I can uh, shuffle work around or whatever. So I think right now in my in my thirty third or thirty fourth state. Um, I've done four or five uh, uh, kind of like team event tours. How was the um, in the what ten months or so? You know, less than yeah, less than you've been doing. How was okay? Say, have you seen any? I want to say any change in like optimism, or is there been, been any kind of like growing sense that this is like taking hold for more people, or has it been kind of like a st- like the the people you've talked to have been just kind of like a steady a steady um, level of just you know eagerness and optimism for it. Well, I mean, it really, I mean, it really depends on the audience, right? Sometimes if, if I'm talking to a DSA chapter, you have a bit of a selection bias, but I'll talk to general assemblies and church groups and uh, med schools and law schools, and I mean, it goes away, right? I mean, right now you've got things like ICE or whatever, which perhaps uh, I think reasonably uh, are, are, are more urgent issues to uh, right. direct action on, but by and large, like, nobody's fear of their own body ever really decreases. We all know that we're uh, inherently temporarily able-bodied and that catastrophe could be could, uh, could happen at all times and so um no I, 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 there's not i don't think it's been like any, any kind of cooling off i think uh, uh as uh, over time more and more folks are uh um kind of feeling it and, and, and trying to get involved one thing that has been changing that's one thing i'm very happy about is uh, kind of the way that i've been able to watch for cool and material issues kind of uh, in their hometown i think you know realistically you and i could demand single pair morning noon and night from now till 2020 and, and that's cool I'm, I'm going to do that but it doesn't necessarily pr- provide a uh, material and so watching chapters kind of get together and try to push uh local reforms is has been really heartening right there's nothing scarier uh, to establish a figure than a leftist group that calls their shot and succeeds so for example dsa cincinnati passed a, a needle exchange first one in the area wow in austin they passed paid sick leave to women in san antonio and dallas uh sf last week just propped a, just passed a Propositions S and H, which is a right to counsel, and uh, against unregulated uh, police tater control. Yeah, I remember. I've been, I've been happy to watch uh, that kind of work happen. That's great. Yeah, I think that's the um, 
um, yeah, it's one of the things that, because I think there have been, I think, multiple campaigns happening even up here in Portland, too. But, yeah, I think one of the, that's the thing that I've enjoyed is that, um, I mean, I'm kind of, I am relatively new to this, too, but at least from the, what theory, theory I have been showing in my head, yeah, the uh, the critical need for building the movement, but also for building the movement that, that also addresses, you know, immediate material need. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, uh, what is it? I think in San Antonio there is uh, 144,000 signatures for paid sick leave in like a couple of months. And I mean, like, that's about more than half of the number of people that voted in 2014, right? I think it's in, like a quarter of all the registered voters in the area. San Antonio isn't like a, a red city or a blue city. It's a non-voting city. And so the paid sick leave movement, like, is uh, I think is by far the largest popular movement I've ever seen in San Antonio in years, if not decades. I mean, turns out if you get, if you offer somebody something, because they're going to fight to keep it, or they're going to fight to have it. And uh, through that, you can kind of build, you know, the power structures required to actually force these larger demands. I don't know what the revolution or whatever looks like, but now it's going to require mass popular mobilization. And I think mass popular mobilization comes a lot of times from uh, 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 material material fights. You can start small. That's okay. And uh, it's been a lot of fun for me, um, you know, getting to watch all these people out of kind of uh, take on the fight on their own. Something you mentioned in there that, that I just was curious of, have you hit any... Is hit any kind of like odd or surprised reactions from just talking to folks in like bigger, like, you know, blue state cities, you know, who are, you know, exp- you know, kind of more, more clueless kind of like, you know, liberal types wondering like, what, you know, you mean these people in these like, you know, but there's, you know, these, these states, they voted for Trump. How could they possibly be supporting this particular thing? Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I mean, I've spoken in, uh, I've spoken in rural areas. I've spoken in red areas for Arkansas and, uh, and, and Tennessee and parts of Texas. And by and large, folks uh, who, you know, live in Trump County or whatever uh, are still acutely aware that their bodies are, you know, big things of pain. Um, I think, uh, what is it, like in the past five years, something like 18 Medicaid clinics in Texas have closed down, 12 or 13 in Tennessee. There was a, one of the saddest things I ever saw was a GoFundMe for a rural hospital in Tennessee that needed to raise $100,000 and I think raised less than 4% of that. Um, because you, you, like, you can't, you can't GoFundMe a hospital. The, the area isn't prosperous enough. There's not enough capital. So it's all like kind of taken from the land. Um, so there are people in uh, rural that area. I mean, they're, I guess the, the, the big fear there, this is based off 30 years of coaching and training, is the idea that uh, we're like somebody else getting something at expense, right? That's fundamentally what a means-tested program is. And so uh, talking about a universal program uh, that covers all people, uh, the, the, that rising tide which lifts all boats that kind of liberates us from uh, bankrupt, I can even there. I, I give almost the literal same talk. I just changed the phrase public, uh, public money to tax money. Uh, just because it's, uh, I don't want to get into like a modern monetary theory discussion because uh, I don't know enough about it. And but uh, 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 it's, it's, the, the reaction's been great. And the only people I really get pushed back from are those who insist that uh, the ACA just needs a policy tweak, or we need to find ways to continue subsidizing private industry to, uh, to fix our healthcare problems. Kind of a, a more centrist Democrat approach, and that I have a, a real difficult time with because I get very mad um, because you cannot uh, like uh, if. If the government's role in healthcare is simply to subsidize private companies providing insurance, they're going to have mass immiseration coast to coast. That's that's just that's incontrovertible. But uh, no, man, when I talk to folks in uh, you know areas that don't 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 get a whole lot of attention from uh, um, the Dems, you know, left or uh, rural areas, red areas, I, I have a great time. Yeah, funny how that works when you just actually go there and talk to people. Yeah, surprising. Mm-hmm. Because instead of just talking about, you know, just like single payer or just Medicare for all, you've been talking more and more about health justice. Can you describe yeah. for the viewing audience what your take on uh, or what health justice is? 
Absolutely. So uh, single payer is not the goal. By no means a single payer the end. Single payer is simply a tool. Single payer is a tool by which we begin to force ourselves to reckon with racist, classist, ableist, sexist provision of healthcare in the U.S. Right. And the idea behind that, in, in, in my opinion, is that uh, they, like the job, our job is to force the federal single payer to bear all the costs of providing care now, and also bear all the risks and all the costs of providing care in the future, or what happens when you don't provide care. Right. Right now, if you have a private insurance your private insurer only cares about you so long as they're footing your bills. And most folks change insurers every two or three years and eventually, God permitting, you go on Medicare. So there's no actual actor invested in long-term health or even uh, – they're invested even less in things like population or, or, or community health. So you have things like uh, well, the shutdown of rural clinics, and, 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 uh, and, and especially in the south. You have like in rural South Carolina, a bunch of PVC septic tanks broke and they brought hookworm back to the city like or the area for the first time in 40 years. Years. You got all these kind of like crumbling. We understand, like it's not like a. This is not. It's not very hard. We understand people get sick for structural and social reasons, right. and therefore the appropriate response is structural and social. And my hope is that, for example, if the federal single payers forced to bear all those costs with people receiving care and people don't receive care, then uh, if your people are suffering because they don't have, let's say, for example, a place to live or where they live is unsafe, it's full of water, full of pollution, full of mold, it's flammable, then housing becomes a, a pretty urgent form of health care spending. And the single payer is forced to invest in uh, affordable or free housing to bring health care costs down. And that expands to things like food and uh, shelter and safety and all those other kinds of things. There's this idea called the uh, social determinants of health, which is the structural and social things which affect a, a, a person or a population's health care and health quality. And uh, so long as we leave uh, health finance to the private market, they're never going to be funded. And so I think that's, a, that's the kind of the broader vision of health buses I'm interested in, right? Because once you understand that all these things are connected and that uh, health is like a uh, much larger than a simple transaction between your insurer and, uh, uh, and, and your doctor, then all of a sudden you understand that things like uh, environmental justice and economic justice and reproductive justice are all forms of, uh, of health justice. All these, all these things are woven together. And I think that's nice because there's like um, all these things kind of work in parallel, right? All the movements that we do on the ground to fight for housing, shelter, and safety, and uh, material relief, those are all things that affect people's health. All these things are woven together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that uh, um, it's kind of nice to co locate uh, an individual movement or an individual effort kind of in that broader. Uh, in the broader framework, and I found that energizing, right? Because it kind of kind of it kind of shows all of us how all the things we're working on are uh, fundamentally related in in, in, in the way uh, that the people experience life. Awesome. What's been your favorite reaction to one of your talks? If there's anyone that really stands out from your memories of kind of like all of these um, all of these gigs? Yeah. Um, so I, I I keep a journal of who I talk to and what we talk about, and honestly, like the the the, the the most meaningful interactions I have are often the saddest, you know? I don't want to pornographize anybody's suffering or really kind of uh, make anything too spectacular there, but uh, it, it, it turns out that listening to people, like going to people and listening to them is a relatively uh, subversive act in America, right? We've we've been told to atomize ourselves and to fear strangers and to not talk to others. And so um, after a talk or after, you know, uh, afterward at an event or when I'm stuck at somebody's house, a lot of folks will... Uh, you know, kind of take me into their confidence and, and talk to me about their fears and their health care fears. And they all have them. Everybody has, uh, has, has fundamental health care fears. I have them. Uh, everybody I've ever spoken to does. And so kind of like, uh, uh, I don't know. That's like a, it's, it requires a, a great deal of vulnerability and a, and, and a great deal of trust. 
And uh, every time it happens, I feel so, you know, honored that someone would decide to, to share that with me. And often those are the kinds of things that drive folks into the movement in the first place, right? And then it's kind of a process of learning how your pain and the pain of others around you are kind of structurally related. Um, I think, uh, you know, I always like the phrase, don't despair, organize, right? Because it's very easy to despair. I looked at this big, horrible machine, and I feel a lot of despair. But the mm-hmm. answer is not to react out of fear, but to react out of love, you know, for the people around you who are suffering. And through that uh, broader effort, right, through, that, through that more horizontal uh, understanding of solidarity, you can, kind of be, you can kind of develop a very specific fury, you know? And that kind of that combination of love and fury together is, I think, how we uh, claw down this horrible machine. And so kind of being with folks as they begin to radicalize themselves or understand how their problems or similar other problems uh, is really moving. And I, I feel really honored when people, uh, you know, uh, afford me that, uh, that vulnerability. Excellent. Uh, do you have time for a couple more questions? Yeah, real quick. i got to talk in like 20 minutes, so I can only do a couple more minutes. Okay. Uh, real, just two questions that have been bouncing around the top of my, back of my head. What is Party World Wrestling? Party World Wrestling is a giant, stupid theater troupe about a wrestling league that is also a wrestling league. Excellent. That's perfect. It is, uh, it, it, oh, sorry? Oh, no. Uh, no, please continue. Oh, it started off as a joke, uh, as, like a, as like a party for my friend Jared's uh, 30th birthday a couple of years ago. Every year, Jared throws a birthday party, the theme of which is, let's do things that can harm ourselves. So boxcar racing, bounce castle, etc. One year was wrestling. And I showed up at this, uh, at this like backyard wrestling party in Austin, uh, which happened to be on my birthday as well. And we decided to kind of goof around with it, and I did color commentary. And then I uh, came back a few months later, we decided to do it again, and uh, 40 people were there. Well, God, that's fun. Let's do it again. Did it again a couple months later, and all of a sudden, uh, 100 people were there. And it was because I'm growing and growing and growing. So I moved to Austin for a while to kind of help turn this thing from being like a frequent uh, backyard party into being a more established kind of uh, uh, I don't, I don't still want to say wrestling federation. Like uh, right now, we've got 120 folks on staff. We've got a couple of full-time uh, people, a couple of people that give us a lot of art. We just put on these big, elaborate parties uh, uh, about wrestling, right? So we'll have uh, nine or ten matches over the course of a night. Big dumb plot, big massive uh, quantity of lore, and honestly, I think um, a pretty interesting space. We do the Speedy Ortiz thing. We put the phone number up on a wall. You can text if someone does anything sexist or racist or inappropriate, and then the local roller derby team or our seven-foot our seven foot tall friend Doug uh, will escort the offending party out. We kind of build a, a, a more inclusive space uh, for wrestling fans of all types, and it's pretty it's pretty singular. It's like a four and a half, five hour show. Um, eighteen hundred people, uh, a little more than that at our last event, uh, kind of uniting to uh, party extremely hard and shout about wrestling. Awesome. The when you get to Portland, uh, remind me we we need to tell you about Portland Organic Wrestling. Yeah, hell yeah. It would uh, did you get a chance to see Hood Slam when you were in San Francisco? Yeah, I was at the first Hood Slam. Awesome. Yeah, they uh, they they came up to they did a show in Portland about. Two or three weeks ago, that I unfortunately was not able to attend, and I was uh, very, uh, very uh, disappointed by that. Any new record recommendations of any, any new stuff that you've heard lately that you uh, want to share it with anybody else? Yeah, but really, there's this dude Vilkacis, uh, V-I-L-K-A-C-I-S. He's the drummer for Yellow Eyes, and he has his own solo U.S. black metal project. I really like U.S. black metal because uh, the rate of accidentally listening to a fascist is, is much smaller in the U.S. than, than <laughs> yeah. in Europe. It is, and, uh, and it is a worry nowadays. Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, it's fucking... You always got all, like, uh... uh, uh yeah, Yellow Eyes are great, and the, the, the solo project with Cassius is incredible. It's, uh, like, a very Slavic sound, and it's all hard and loud parts with no quiet parts, which is wonderful. Um, I've, I've really been enjoying that record. What's the name of the record again? 
Uh, I think it's self-titled, but the, the artist is Vilcacis. V-I-L-K-A-C-I-S. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes. You know, you've been quite gracious with your time. I'll I'll let you go. I just want to thank you a lot for uh, for calling and talking to us. And yeah, keep fighting the good fight. Cool. And we'll see you. Uh, yeah, have fun as you uh, travel up the I five corridor on the train. Yes, and, sir. Uh, looking to yeah, there's a couple places we do need to uh, show you when you're here in Portland. I think that if nothing else, we'll give you uh, good enough uh, postcards to send back. Well, I can't wait. Thank you very much. A thought that came up, and this might even require a whole other episode of, depending on how mu- on how <laughs> how much into moral theory y'all want to go into, but very I was a, into I was it. A, uh, a philosophy major. That's Hell true. Yeah. yeah. Why should healthcare not be a profit center? Why should healthcare be decommodified? Health is social. I mean, like health is every every part of our lives. Um, and when you introduce that healthcare is a business, um, we profitize like people's health and we profitize their everyday lives and that's degrading to their, to their existence. Yeah. I was a bioethics major first and foremost in college. And then I got out of it and uh, went into the worst. I went to engineering, uh, became a STEM Lord. Um, no, um, <laughs> but you know, like that, yeah, that's exactly it. Like a real Elon Musk fan. <laughs> Cue me having a seizure. Okay. Um so you're completely right. Like healthcare um in terms of the way that health is, it's 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 not something that you choose. And that's the whole concept behind everything is like you make these choices, healthy choices, and you can live a better life. I'm sorry, but cancer. That's why I bought a Juicero. Yeah, <laughs> cancer. God, you brought that up. It's like been six months, and that word should have died, and you brought it up on a podcast. Okay, anyway. I love Juicero. But long story short, I mean, from a, from a moral perspective, everybody's gonna fucking die, and like you're you're going to have this necessity of having healthcare, and it's not like everybody was like. You know we're gonna we're gonna force the doctors to treat you no you're not gonna fucking force the doctors to treat you they're gonna be paid a living wage and not have to worry about medical practice because they're running in their own firm or whatever like that like they're, they're covered by their own you know like they're actually getting paid their worth that's the thing about the nurses as the movement is because nurses have historically been paid less now look at something like russia where historically doctors have been mostly women and they've been paid way 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 below any of the other countries in the world because of the fact that if you have a women-led industry they are typically undervalued underpaid and care is considered human care is considered a lower value of function it's disgusting but like this is the bizarre i mean obviously it's capitalism (laughs) capitalism patriarchy everything comes together in this fluid idea of how things have worked and not worked and in order to have this change you need to just realize that everybody again is affected by it and yeah i'm sorry right. i'm ranting i'm just ranting. no you're not no, ranting you've been on the show for almost over a year over a year you know we we welcome certain traits, and you're allowed so, yeah. to rant yeah feel free but yeah i, yeah, I no. think i think that uh I, I remember even i had an now i'm trying to remember the argument but i had even just an economics like a very bougie economics class like 
argue the professor argued you know that it's not a good like any other good you know what i mean even it's in not. a capitalist context like even if you were saying capitalism is great which you know of course i'm not saying even in that context healthcare is not like other goods and therefore it needs to be uh conceptualized differently and um there is such a thing as human flourishing and if we want to say we want to uh make human flourishing uh, um, 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 of lesser importance than, you know, people making profit or something like that, uh, then fine. But, but I don't think most people would say, no, I think my grandmother should be able to live as full and, and enriched a life as possible. And, and, and it should not be, uh, wedded to a system that, 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 that who only drive is to, is to make a, a buck, you know, um, Anyway, I'm sorry. No, it's absolutely no. right. I, yeah. I was going to say, I, I don't know how often, like, rolls should be brought up. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, making a choice behind the veil of ignorance for health is a very, it's a good point. Like, and if you if you sit behind the veil of ignorance, um, for y'all can look that up, but uh, if you sit behind the veil of ignorance, there's a case to be made for Medicare for all there. Because you have no idea what you're right. going to get in the health Are you going to be born with uh, some sort of... Degenerative heart, heart disease. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? And when you sit behind the veil of ignorance and you calculate all of those things that we know about our current like health, you would make the choice of like, okay, yeah, like I think that because I have no idea where I'm going to be come out, everybody should get probably equal access and shouldn't right. have to pay as much. And like, you, you, there's a case to be made there for him. But yeah, I mean, I think that that Rawls is. Uh, why not? Why not use that perspective of of if you if you didn't know what your life is going to turn out to be, what kind of healthcare system would you want to have? Uh, real quick, can you, um, for those of us in the audience who only studied 19th century continental philosophers, <laughs> can you give a, a slight gloss on uh, Rawls, do please? To, do you want to do that? I'll try, yeah. and then you can supplement. Uh, we're talking about the 60 soul singer Lou Rawls. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We're Singing voice of Garfield the Cat in uh, the many classic animated features <laughs> that 80s and 90s kids will remember. I did not know that, Jeremy. Thank you. Really? You didn't uh, know that? Lorenzo Music did his speaking voice. Lou Rawls did his uh, his singing voice. No, I did not know that. Uh, John Rawls is a, uh, um, a political philosopher. I think I believe he taught at Harvard uh, at the same time as the... In the liberal tradition. Yeah. <laughs> at the same time as the libertarian philosopher, uh, Robert Nozick. They, they would go back and forth a little bit. But uh, let's leave Nozick to the side. Yep. Uh, John Rawls uh, has a complicated... I I would say Obama-esque ACA style philosophy. Um, are you a Rawls fan? You just I'm, made... I'm not a Rawls fan. I'm kind I of studied... a Rawls fan. I'm, yeah, I'm not... Okay, so I I just don't know. I haven't paid enough attention in like the later uh, philosophy debates to know like where Rawls really stands in like leftist politics. But what I would say is that like Rawls made a pretty good argument when considering like theories of justice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Of, like, how we should consider justice and how we could allocate resources. And right. the way he, in which he made the argument uh, for how we should allocate 
resources and how we should have a just society is if that you sat behind this thing that he called the veil of ignorance. And the veil of ignorance was like, if you could consider yourself before you were born, if you were like waiting to be born in like some sort of soul spherical thing, and you were looking down at the world and you knew what there was to be known about the current systems, and you said, how could we allocate resources based on those systems? Um, and he would say, you know, you do have the, the, the key thing about the veil of ignorance is not knowing where you're going to be born into society, whether it's in place or with how much money you have or right. like what kind of disease you might have or like some genes that you might have. Yeah. It's... Can I just interject here? Go ahead, please. This is from Wikipedia. Two of his brothers died in childhood because they had contracted fatal illnesses from him. Mm. In 1928, the seven-year-old Rawls contracted diphtheria. His brother Bobby, younger by 20 months, visited him in his room and was fatally infected. The next winter, Rawls contracted pneumonia. Another younger brother, Tommy, caught the illness from him and died. Dang. So that would probably inform some of his political philosophy. Like if you didn't know you were going to get your two brothers sick and kill them, you you know, like what kind of system would you want to set up? Right. Is that what you're saying? I'm sorry. That that seems very. I'm cool, so sorry to cruel put that out there. No, it's, no, it's, no. It's it, yeah. No, it's again. It's, it informs his theory. So yeah. So so then you make this decision of like, well, how would you create a just system if you didn't know like where you would be put and like what you would end up with? And if you didn't know, that would mean the chances would mean you'd lie anywhere. Mm-hmm. And with the, considering that, you would want to make you would as a as a self like whatever it is considered like self-acting vehicle or whatever in society you would want to make the system that would give everybody something relatively equal and like access to the same just resources yeah. so he was trying to argue i think he was trying to argue for a system in which it was pretty egalitarian but not entirely egalitarian so so if you made certain sacrifices in that society there might be there might be in his estimation a reason for you to get a little bit more benefit than 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 your average person. Mm-hmm. So that's another aspect of Rawls's theory. Uh, I think it's called the difference principle, if I remember correctly. It's it's that a, a certain amount of inequality is permissible if that amount of inequality raises the the lowest. Sh- stratum of society to as high a place as they could possibly be you know getting to the question of equity versus equality of yeah yes yeah 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 all right let's say if we could let us okay excellent digression look can we bridge rawls back to uh health care and the decommodification of it well, you brought up roles in context of healthcare. So. I mean, yeah, I guess what I would say is that you would you would then be making the the decision of like, well, what's going to be the what's going to allocate the most amount of resources to the most amount of people in case I end up in like this place where I'm born with cancer or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that was the case, then you would end up at a Medicare for all system because it would allocate the most amount of resources to the most amount of people. Yeah. And essentially that is what we have already. We have Medicare for the elderly and we have Medicaid for the most vulnerable parts of our population. And they spread that across an even keel. And yeah, if you're born with a, I mean, having experienced and worked with people in the not only in, in in a hospice situation of dying, but also in like children born with illnesses where they are literally on a ventilator 24-7 and receiving oxygen and receiving services and goods all the time. And then also having to deal with that administrative side of billing all of that equipment and stuff like that. Like, it is horrifying to think that we can place a cost on a human life. That should just be the, the end-all sentence of it, is that we don't put 
a cost on human life. You're going to keep somebody alive as long as they possibly can because human life is, you know, it has e e infinite value. Sorry, I'm just hitting Jeremy's podcast. Like, yeah. No, so you, you can you can just go back to that. And that's the simplest function for people to understand. And, and you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's just so, yeah, so simple. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, so let us take a quick break and then we'll get back to let's ask uh, once we got this point, like, where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. But now it's break time. If, uh, you know, for, you know, the viewing audience, you know, uh, you know, watching this uh, podcast, <laughs> where do they go next? It's kind of a thing where we've tried to fire up a lot of people and give them, transmit a lot of information and both, uh, both uh, technical information, but also um, moral distinction, which actually was a, a nice discussion and did not exactly plan for it to be in that depth, but that's great because... Uh, I need to take more philosophy classes. Mm -hmm. um, I'm guessing my, my question from here is, where do folks go from here? How can they plug into certain campaigns like the Medicare for All campaign happening both in Portland, but also in, you know, plenty of American cities that are going on right now? And even outside of like even outside of cities, it's in like full on like re uh, regions or municipalities. Yeah, so uh, depending on where your audience is like focused, I mean, like Portland DSA is a great place to start with that. Um, I would always advocate to join any of our canvases on a much like larger scale. I would say like look for actionable items, right? Like those are going to be the things that are going to make a difference. Um, marches are great, protests are great, rallies are great. I think that th there's definitely a space that needs to be like had for those. Um, but like look for the actionable items. Um, there was a really cool anecdote to that which was there was the, um, the the women's march that happened right after the inauguration. Loved it, took part in it, was definitely there. Um, and there was this anecdote that said that like, well, there was 16 point like one, or sorry, there's 14.1 million people that took part in the women's march across the country. What would happen, and, and let's say that each one of those 4.1 million people, they took about four hours out of their day to drive there, get there, take part in the action. What would happen if all 4.1 million of those people took four hours out of their time and put it into door knocking and went out and like knocked on doors and had conversations about issues like Medicare for all or whatever the issue is that most pertains to them? How much more of an actionable difference would that make? Right. And I love let me let me preface this with I love the Women's March. Like I'm not trying to knock on that in any respect, but saying that, like, what can we do to, like, take actionable Actions. Yeah, the Women's the March US. is a great first step. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and then, it's like, what can we do with our time? Even if you just talk that? to every coworker and every family member. Wow. Yeah. yeah, you have the bodies. And the. I mean, I, I know I've, I've looked down on the Women's March because of the whole brunch aspect and, you know, whatever. <laughs> but um, in, in general. That was just like one person. Though. No, no, but in general, like, it, it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of energy to come out and to. to to be visible and there is a fear there but if you feel like you have solidarity you feel like you do have a voice finally right and to to tell people that they have a voice and to to make them feel like the world isn't so hopeless and so unchangeable that they can't change yeah it. and i i want to say also 
right after the women's march or soon after we had remember the airport closures mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. i was i was flying no, home from me- not, northern mexico that I day i feel that like was, yeah. you know i'm sorry that you were probably inconvenienced jeremy but no no no, no, no i know no, you don't care but i'm just no no i'm no uh, i'm saying i it never affected me i was i had to um because i was trapped bouncing like through four different airports i could only i couldn't i was prevented from par- participating ah, I, I, I had to like you know check in you know land okay like where is everybody at oh shit they're in portland now hopefully okay it's you know and then fly from here to there and then check in to see what everybody was but but, anyway. I, but i think that even per, to me even more than the women's march that that incident was such a telling moment for where american politics is and where it could be going yeah. because these were regular ass people going hey we're all going to the airport right now i mean who who organized that mm-hmm. where was the facebook invite i mean it was just it just happened it you know what i mean yeah it was just, it was just uh, and, and recently with i you know with all this ice stuff that's happening like like you know you have you have your people that are that are much you know that are more uh courageous and they're the ones in the camps but a lot of you know your your grandmother your mother your your aunt you know those are the people getting you know, wanting to participate in some way, and boy, like, like that's exciting. I don't know. I don't. Now yeah, I forgot which. I think which, it is exciting. What, what point I, I was trying to make, but. Uh, and don't discount people on the basis of their current politics or philosophy or whatever, because again, like you were saying, that's the point. There, I was trying to there make. is yes. an there is an an in for everybody on a level right and we need to connect to that yeah you know, whatever there's some don't level. discount their intelligence their politics whatever i mean they, they yeah people suck but the same token like we all have something to share about right. this world that we can do. i swear i had a bigger point to make and i forgot what it was and i cut you off Uh, so I, I engaging on Twitter is realizing that most of my uh, f- like people that I engage with are very neoliberal, yeah. you know, retweeting the same people over and over and over again, and it's sort of like, you know, my my shut off at this point, and I'm so sad. I'm, I'll still hate follow you if you're <laughs> <laughs> if you're reposting, um, you know, like like just dumb shit, right? I mean, if if if. It, the I have the Eric Gardner test or whatever. If you po- if you post anything that's like Luis, like what's her face or oh god, then I'm like done. But like oh Lu- Luis Mensch. Yeah, yeah. But like even if you're doing like she's uh, not a Mensch. Imani Gandhi or whatever, you're trying. You're trying. Right. But they're like still not getting it. <laughs> right. They're they're that close. And this is the thing about like. Praxis now is like you know they're that close. They're just they're continually feeling like they're pushed to their limits, mm-hmm. but they're not because we live in a hell world. So like what you have to do is you just have to kind of like ease them into the idea that like your ideology is not there. Well, and, I would argue those people don't believe that they're in a hell world though. though really? World. They no, think that's like, normal? I, well, no. Like people, not that it's normal, but like the people that are like like centrist Dems, they don't believe that we're like living in a hell world because the world is not hell for them because their children are not being separated from them at the fucking border as they're that's like so true. reaching asylum, right? Like they're Touché. they're just like going about their day and doing whatever the fuck and they saw something Trump did that was stupid. Like they're not living in the world that is chaotic. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. this is the time where as people on the left we have to be able to say like the world is 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 shitty for everyone and we need to acknowledge that and like 
find a place where we can say like and I'll just go there, but like socialism is the right it is the right it is. thing to yeah. happen. Um yeah. Well, you're, you're we, universal safety, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you can always go deeper. And I think people are just like have a cutoff. Like when you talk about stuff like Palestine or, you yeah. know, like mm-hmm. all these kind of things that like people just are, like it just falls off the radar. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, if you're thinking about the world as a whole needing not only like universal care and humanity, but just treating people like human beings, like you need to think about these things and you don't need to just shout about them on social media. You need to actually like legitimately like force your people in power, unfortunately, because I'm anti-authority and whatever we live in this (laughs) world um, to listen to you and to know that that's not right. Right. And yell at people in restaurants. Yes. Yell at people at restaurants. We should do an episode on that. Never, yeah. Yeah, was, yeah, never let them step outside of... A guide to restaurant yelling. Never let them step outside of their protected cloisters without, like, like 1920s level of, like, just... You know, 1920s movies level of, like, tossing rotten produce at them. Right. <laughs> or, uh, I believe a movie I saw with you, Jeremy, many years ago, <laughs> V for, for Vendetta, when he... What was it? The uh, politicians should be afraid of the people. People should not be afraid of the governments. (laughs) Governments should be afraid of the people. I did a Matrix episode recently, and we talked a little bit about how that was a trans narrative. And um, I think it technically, you know, it it, it is. It actually is a trans narrative. Even the Matrix is? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, the the, the, the Matrix is is too. Um, But yeah. I would think to some degree, like, what the Wachowskis do would be a trans narrative because it's true. Aren't yeah. they both trans? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're Wachowskis. They're now the Wachowski sisters. Yes. Uh, we, ladies and gentlemen, we have talked about a hell of a lot of topics tonight mm-hmm. going, uh, I would say we are going far longer than expected, but secretly we always kind of expect that we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go for a while. Again, one of the things that we do want to reemphasize is that there are things you can do. There are, uh, we are a Portland-based podcast talking to primarily Portland-based people, so we, there's a little bit of uh, lo- local bias there, but no matter where you are, there are groups working on this shit, like right now, like the day you are hearing this, that you can hook up with. and Yeah, and I just th- think about if you're from Hobbs, New Mexico, or whatever, like like there's no one in your town doing what what... There might not be anyone doing what we're talking about, but there are people that want someone to be doing it, and it could be you. So think about think about that. You know what I mean? Think about what Riley was talking about, about just having conversations with. It doesn't even have to be strangers. It can be people that you know that you haven't had these conversations with. You know, it's it's important. Um and these are not, you know, you know, rural urban divide issues. These, everyone fucking gets sick. So this is so, universal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just think about that. Go out, join your local DSA chapter or start action. it or start it. If yeah. You need yeah. To. yeah. Hobbs, Absolutely. New Mexico. I'm looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this, or even I mean, even if you have issues with DSA, like there are certain there are many there are many leftist groups, some healthier than others. Um <laughs> Yeah. Oh dear! Uh, that that you can uh, that you can like hook up with and just say yeah it's like yeah I'm here to I'm here to help out yeah there was the uh, what was it the I can't remember what what publication did it but it was the thing about the 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 middle aged mom who was radicalized because Slate dot com I believe yeah Slate she was radicalized because she listened to Chapel Trap House and she went to a PSL 
a party for socialism and liberation, mm-hmm. which may or may not have its own issues, but she <laughs> went to a discussion, uh, 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 a PSL meeting about the Communist Manifesto, and because of that, and because of and her own you know material circumstances, boom, you know that all of a sudden that was you know. Um, I don't want to say she was red pilled, but uh, <laughs> there, there there has to be a a, yeah, a, a rose emoji of equivalent yeah. of that. Yep. Yeah. Um, just to say, like at socialist bomb sixty nine, the fact that we have like a little bit of traction right now in mainstream media, like we need to hold on to that. And I'm just gonna, I know I fucking hate mainstream media, but the fact that like Cynthia Nixon is all for DSA and is behind it, you, you know, again. Who gives a fuck about the fact that she's an actress or whatever? Yeah, you know, like whatever. Like, uh, like we have visibility. Right. Yeah, I said just yeah, just the fact that there's this, a thing of this this prominence. I will. I'm not going to go into whether certain DSA groups should necessarily do full on like electoral endorsements, but just the 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 fact that this thing popped, you know, was bubbling up and like, okay, there's something going on it's here. It's starting to pop, and and it's, it's always been popping in weird ways with the whole like you know Fox News bullshit because of course they're going to paint us as commies and that's always a fear. But like I think that we do have the ability at this point to say, hey, there is an alternative to this idea that like the trickle down of good things happening in the Democratic Party is never going to actually work out for us. And I know a lot of really, like, established liberals, and um, they like to talk about authority, and I, I you know, he was going to be the Speaker of the House. And you're like, no, you know, just, like, shake it from the bottom up. This is a new revolution. It doesn't have to be bloody, but it can be definitely, like, you do have to not give a fuck about no. anybody's feelings about no, We can stuff. make it bloody. No, I'm kidding. I don't want to get bloody. No guillotines, please. Um, a better world as possible. Okay, okay, like I said, all right. Um, on that note, um, for those who would want, uh, for those in Portland who would want to be involved in more, there are a couple. Uh, I'm going to try to get this out in mid July. There are at least a, a few events coming up very, very soon, which you, the viewer, uh, can participate in if you want to find out more. Rather, can you talk about, let's say, uh, the talk that our uh, our our missing guest uh, Tim Faust will be giving uh, Friday? Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, I'm really excited. Uh, Tim Faust is going to be here in Portland, um, talking on July 20th uh, at 6:30 p.m. at the Sunnyside Community Center, um, and he's going to be giving a talk about Medicare for All and kind of giving a little bit of background, uh, probably more in depth than we went into in this podcast, um, and then giving some like ways out um, to. Re- reach the Medicare for all system. Um, and yeah, it's going to be an amazing talk. I'm really, really excited for it. Um, and then it, out of that, we're going to do some canvassing efforts that will happen two weeks after that, um, where we're going to be going out and talking and talking with our neighbors and imploring some of these methods in which we talked about on this podcast, using the response cycle, talking with our neighbors about Medicare for all, sharing common um, ex- like shitty experiences that we've had with the healthcare industry um, to inoculate them into the issue and really bring them on our side. Um, and yeah, we hope to, uh, we'll be having those uh, canvassings that happen uh, once a month for the, you know, for the foreseeable future until we reach the Medicare for all objective. Um, so yeah, we'd really love for people to come out, take part in the canvassing and ultimately to get people to a place where, you know, they will be hosting their own canvases because that's really how we're going to grow this movement. And for, for, for those who would like to say, 
join the you know for those Portlanders who are interested in finding out more of what uh, Portland DSA is doing in with regards to the Medicare for All uh, campaign, it, is there going to be like a meeting coming up soon? Yeah, there'll be a meeting on the 28th where we'll have a uh, work group meeting where we'll talk a little bit about our campaign, how it's going to be shaped. Um, we're actually looking to do some pretty new and exciting things with this campaign. Um, this is a, a little bit on a personal side for me, but um, we're looking to add a little bit of um, paid parental leave to our local campaign. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, and we're, I, for those of you who don't know, and I'll tell you the story really quickly, I am soon to be a father. Um, my partner is nine months pregnant and she will be giving birth. Well, I don't know when she'll Congratulations. Be Far Thank out. You. Um, her, the due date is, uh, July tw or July 31st. Um, and so, yeah, this brings up, you know, a lot of like really exciting emotions. And then also, it's also really stressful. Um, and so can't imagine why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, and so, yeah, so we're looking to, to, because of those experiences, um, and, and, and really realizing how that, um, is affecting people. We're looking to, to bring some of that into our local campaign for Medicare for all, um, and advocating for, uh, paid parental leave, um, in the city of Oregon. And so look for that in the near future. In this, like in general, paid parental leave should be a thing. Mm -hmm. Period, mm -hmm. for men and women. Mm -hmm. Men need to support women in mm -hmm. that. And it should be a whole damn year. That's mm -hmm. all yeah, I'm saying. Exactly. Say, yeah, the um, for uh, for those interested in paid parental leave, especially for paid um, paid father leave, uh, check out the current uh, efforts. Definitely in Sweden. I can't remember if it's in Norway too, but. I think Britain has a version of it, right? Mm -hmm. oh, check out mensrights.org. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding, you guys. I don't know if that's a website. All right. Um, I don't endorse <clears throat> it. Wrapping things up, uh, we're, we're, we've are we been going on forever, as we usually do. Uh, we're coming to very rapidly to the endorsements and recommendations segment of the podcast. This is stuff that we have been digging on, be it book author, podcasts, whatever, you know, thing that we need to, that has compelled us so much that we need uh, other people to know about it. And so we'll give them here. Does anyone want to go first with their own recommendation? Well, you took my rec because you were going to recommend heavy medical, so I can't recommend that anymore. Go for it. No, go for it. No, I'm not going to. I'm, obviously, heavy medical is great. They haven't released a podcast since April, since Tim has been so busy. Who is who? Who and what is heavy medical? Heavy medical is Tim Faust and his partner, Kelly Joe, and they're both deep, 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 deep into not only studying, but practicing healthcare law, and they're explaining yep. the American medical uh, healthcare system for an audience in a good way um and also recommending a lot of heavy metal which i really really appreciate as somebody that like took my shirt off at a mastodon concert nice was, you know um it was <laughs> hot it was story. in arizona okay sure. like you know you can wear a bra in public it's just like a bathing suit especially at a mastodon concert yeah yeah uh what was great was uh, uh what, what was that a uh, cartoon that opened for them um shit death lock Death Clock. Yeah, yeah, I went and saw Death Clock. Did, uh, we, we, no, I went to the Portland show of that. It was at the Roseland, yeah. Has Tim Faust turned you on to any metal that you were not aware of previously? I can't pronounce it. It's like... <laughs> Kev, Kev, that, that, that's, that's a good that's indicator. That's why it's awesome. It's like, you also can't read the logo. Yeah, Kev, yeah. Kevalterlock or whatever. Okay, great. Yeah, okay. Anyway, 
<laughs> yeah, look for the recommendation in the show notes, unless like I just completely give up and trying to <laughs> find out, and just, just like, no, this yeah, this ain't happening, folks. <laughs> yeah. Just no. uh, Jeremy approximating a spelling of Kervalter lock with a. Or, I don't know uh, how to pronounce it. Again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm so glad he's not on this podcast. Okay, so my second recommendation, and the one that I really want to do, is somebody that I met through the Chapo like live show, and I'm uh, outing myself here a little bit, but. My friend um, Rob does a podcast called Dungeon Master of None, and he talks about <laughs> D&D in like really short, like maybe about 45 minute episodes with his podcast partner. And they do an excellent job of explaining the current rules based system and the new books. And as an avid D&D player my entire life, this has been very, very eye opening for me. He also you know, encouraged me to continue to watch the first season of Critical Role, and I am deep, deep, deep into that, and I am so happy because D&D so, is my life. Okay. what? Uh, I'm really interested in this. Yeah. Fifth edition. They're just talking about the rules of fifth edition, and it, it, yeah. it, it, it opened your mind in a way? Yeah, because they talk about the um, benefits of the certain... Um, archetypes of like the class changes that they've done. So D&D 5e is a relatively new system and they haven't really released a lot around it. So Wizards okay. has been pretty like like very guarded about releasing new content. Okay. And when they've been doing it, they've been really trying to bake in these these rules that aren't going to get you too heavy into again the rules because for a long time Pathfinder was king because Pathfinder was just the only thing that mm -hmm. was on the thing and like I played Pathfinder for about three years and it was Mathfinder crunchy whatever so the spells based system for D and D is much more interesting and unique and okay. cool and it's, it allows for more role play and so they talk a lot about how these systems can work for role play and they encourage the new way to tell the story in a sense that includes more options that aren't just like murder hobo kill 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 <laughs> so, so you're saying yeah. it's an improvement upon people who like just grinding yeah 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 and so we all remember the vaunted to nerd cat you all remember the the vaunted D, D monster that was the hobo <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, anyway, I and also from the perspective of he's a historian and he is a, a DSA member, feminist, you know, like so um I really really strongly recommend if you are into D&D &D and you are a leftist just go there first. Excellent. Awesome. It's a leftist D&D pop. Oh man, I'm so in. <laughs> Who's going next? Should I go next? Go next. Okay. I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to recommend a depressing thing that I read today. It's actually four years old, so if you've read it already, don't uh, give me any shit. Awesome. It is by Wolfgang Streeck, S-T-R-E-E-C-K. It's the, the saddest name ever. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty bad. German name ever, yeah. Uh, the, the article is called, How Will Capitalism End? And it, it that, that got me excited, but I shouldn't have gotten so excited because it was sad. Um, he talks about... It is from 2014, so I I, I, uh, I didn't realize that until we started recording the show. But um, he's talking about how he's talking about something that that a lot of people have talked about that are anti-capitalist, which is that like capitalism seems to be dying and predicting the end of it. But he he makes to me a pretty compelling case that we really are in a last throws. But it's like how long are these last throws going to last? 
and it really could be like our whole lives. Uh, I so, don't want the beyond so, history vaporwave future to be my <laughs> only way. Sorry to bum you guys out, but we might die, and it's still capitalism in a horrible uh, sense. Uh, but I, I think that 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 I don't want to get too much into trying to summarize it because it is actually pretty complex and it's pretty long. And if you're not like into economics, like I am, uh, you might fucking really want to run away from it but 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 if you it uh if you don't it's interesting and i would just say that that like the, the i think the takeaway is that getting together finding solidarity is more important than ever because one of the things that the author stresses is that there's no assurance that a marxist sort of socialism is going to be what replaces what happens next yeah shit ain't determined it's not determined right it, it could be that it could be something worse it could be a new kind of feudalism which which it seems like we're walking towards already uh with uh you know like the gig economy and that sort of thing can i be one of the robots that strangles the billionaires in their shelters <laughs> underground no, sure i would love for that to be your job um but i that's not up to me but uh i would just say uh uh read it I do think it's a pretty realistic ex- expectation of the the death of capitalism and how it could be awful or great, uh, uh, depending on again how united we are on the left and 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 uh, how much we talk to our neighbors, whether they are leftists or not. You know what I mean? Like like uh, community is going to be really important, whether the community is a leftist one or not, and then. Um, I think that's it. I don't. I don't know that I have any other suggestions beyond that, except you know, you know, be good to one another. Mm. Go so, out and canvas. It's always a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Riley, you up? Uh, yeah. So I have, um, I guess, three because two of I wasn't really prepared for this. Nice. So. <laughs> what, when I, I emailed you about this I half know, an hour before you showed I know, up. <laughs> I know. I so much time to prep, and yeah. I didn't think about it. So because because shit that I do for fun and like the shit that I do for work is like two different things completely. Same. So for 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 fun, I would recommend like if y'all haven't played Fallout Four, like that's all. I oh do. my god, what's I've your lit- problem? I've, just kidding. I don't I, know. I just yeah. I literally fuck Fallout Four. Play play New Vegas. Nope. Hey hey I play, hey. Play Fallout Four. Yeah. Uh, in my free time when I've got nothing else to do when Isn't I'm it, tired of I feel strongly both ways. Do you both kill ways. or build? Oh, I do both. Yeah. I do both, for sure. Okay. I get it, because you get experience from yeah. both. Yeah. So what is your favorite, you like, um, do you like to do more melee, sniper, or... Oh, snipe, for yeah, sure. I I'm... snipe, and then I, like, come up, and once they've found me, then I just shotgun them away. Yeah, I go straight yeah. for that power armor mm-hmm. and the X one, mm-hmm. and then I, like, get the, the vision. Mm-hmm. You have to get, like... <laughs> and then you just can see everything around you, and mm-hmm. then you're experiencing the story. I wish way. I knew what you were yeah. talking about. Yeah. So Oops. that that's the first thing. Yeah, uh, for 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 like uh, TV recommendations. Um, just because I've been like going through this this process of becoming a father and like trying to you know enlighten myself in all these different ways. Look who's talking. Yeah. No. <laughs> look, I don't know. Or look who's talking now. No, it's the, three men and a baby. You're such a young man. I don't, I I don't know what any of these references <laughs> mean. Uh, Riley, how, uh, if you wouldn't mind, how old are you for the for the viewing audience? I just turned twenty seven. Jesus fucking Christ. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so uh, there's <laughs> there's a thing uh, uh, a TV show called The Letdown, uh, which is amazing for if you're like interested to know for whatever reason about like what it's like to go through having a child and like the very realities of that. Like people like to glamour it up or this that and the other thing, but like The Letdown as a show um, was put out like I think it's a British thing, um, and it's it's amazing. Um, but for more of like a um, I don't know, intellectual side. There's this book called Democracy in Chains, which I just bought and I'm um, reading. It's uh, it's the deep history of the radical rights stealth plan for America. And so it really details how people like the Koch brothers and individuals have like really instilled a um, a plan for what their version of America would like behind lobbying and all that, and really is a, is a good way to, to to kind of understand where we've gotten to now with 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 lobbying and with money and like why we're in this place currently, um, and then offers suggestions on how we can like move out. So, who uh, who who put out this book? Because uh, I've I've known I know that I've uh, seen that title. It's uh, Nancy McLean. Okay. Oh yeah, she wrote about um, uh, the public choice theory in that book. Uh, uh, Buchanan doesn't she talk, read uh, talk a lot about him? Who, who, yeah. I'm very new into this book. I just bought it like okay. Sorry, you remember who is it? List who published this or? Because if it's a if it's Haymarket or Verso, it's on like it's like crazy on sale from. Um, uh, yeah. I I will say. That it's a book that was recommended to me from um, folks that are a part of the National Nurses United. Um, and so, yeah, but I don't know cool. okay. yeah, where it came from. I know for certain that she writes about Buchanan and public choice theory. I definitely know that about that book. I have not read the book, but I've read a chapter of it. Yeah. Great. I'm just breaking into it. Yeah. So. Uh, sudden, sudden spark after way too much beer in our conversations. Um you especially because you have a uh philosophy major background and missing tv what do you think about the good place have you seen that i don't know what that is i don't even know what i'm talking about okay the good place is a tv series starring Kristen bell and ted Danson. oh actually i do know (laughs) it has two series two seasons out and it is one of the shows that it's coming back in the fall it's a thing where like ethics professors are ethics and moral morals professors are using you know using episodes to teach certain modules for. Our, and I was just kind of curious. But are they about, like bourgeois ethics professors? Because ethics is a real bourgeois like. They're doing it from a yes, really actually nice place. Um, and a, that that was a horrible pun. I've been drinking. <laughs> okay. Um, a good place. <laughs> so the whole idea is that like a bad person goes to heaven. Oh. Something like that, yeah. That's okay. It's like, like all I'm gonna say is it is so this kind is, of magical <laughs> realism. It sounds like a little or bit. just magic. Well, it's um, the 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 amount. I don't of, know what I'm talking about. Well, it, talking about? It's, it's a show where the amount of reading that they have an they have an episode that literalizes the trolley problem. They make Jeremy Bentham jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, there is there there are uh, okay. I want to come out right now, and I hate the trolley problem, but the you will not hate. The episode that is bourgeois that, ethics, right there. Well, yes, you will not hate the Sam Raimi way that they uh, literalize it in a particular episode. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm excited cool. for I this. Love actually, Sam Raimi. If, you, if you like it, Jeremy, I will watch it. No, it's 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 a thing where it's like we just uh, my my partner Rachel was watching it, and I'm like, okay, let's go. And then I heard about it, and then I started watching it, and I realized, okay, I need to shotgun all of this, <laughs> and then I need to, and then I we need to like. 
you know, it, it, I mean, it's it's on streaming services, and it's a thing where it's like, oh my, it, it is done by the series was created by Mitch Hurwitz, who helped create, if not, uh, Parks and Rec, mm-hmm. and it's a mix of there's there's some there is some Lost in there. There's a shitload of No Exit in there, and there's a lot of like. A lot of like philosophy classes in there to the mm-hmm. point where one of the main characters is an ethics philosophy professor. Yeah. Um, oh, can I suggest one other thing? Go for it. Shit, I just lost it. <laughs> oh gosh. I'm gonna God recommend I'm sorry, the emptiness yeah. on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, it's something I'm loving. Okay, someone else. I like glow. Them? I don't know why I do, but I love. Glow. <laughs> we're, all, we're we're only about four episodes into the new, no no three three episodes into the uh, the latest season. But it makes me feel good. That's all I need to say. It's good. G- glow, yeah, glow is definitely okay. worthwhile. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, real quick, um, my recommendation will be not uh, both. I will second uh, several of the recommendations given earlier tonight, including uh, heavy medical. The podcast done by uh, Tim Faust and uh, Kelly Joe, but also the fact that Haymarket Books up in Seattle is doing a half off sale up until like late August, and the amount of stuff that they have, uh, the amount of great books that they have that have been previously recommended, but certain titles like um, like pick up everything you know the two books they have by Kianga Yamada Taylor, yes. books like mm-hmm. from Black Lives Matter and to follow Black her Revolution. on Twitter. She's fucking amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah, that too. Uh, she also put out a book called How We Get Free, which is her both uh, talking about the the Kombahi. Uh, God damn it, I can't pronounce this right. Kombahi River Collective. Yeah, you said it right. Yeah. To, uh, for example, the, uh, you know, Sharon Smith's Women in Socialism book, and, but also Subterranean Fire, where she actually talk, you know, gives the history of uh, working class radicalism. And, um, yeah, the, uh, so, yeah, check out Haymarket Books. The, uh, the, the, the sale they have right now on both on hard copies and ebooks is, uh, is top notch. Uh, everybody, do you have anything to promote? Where can folks find you if they have anything uh, they want to ask? Jeez, I don't even know my Twitter handle. Um, <laughs> what? You could, you, could, you could email me. Uh, let's see. What is my Twitter handle? Yeah, y'all should follow me on Twitter. It's at MR underscore brand, B-R-A-N-N. Yeah, you could find me there, or you could shoot me an email, I guess, at RileyBrand at gmail.com. So you, if, t- I'm all over Facebook. Yeah, so yeah. if folks actually have a question about uh, the uh, Medicare for All campaigns and uh, where to go next and whatnot, but besides the uh, the two events in Portland that we that uh, are going on soon, yeah, I would just recommend that they find us uh, DSA on Facebook and uh, get in touch with us through there. Like I'm always actively following that. We have two great um, new uh, Canvas leads, uh, Rick. Bellevue and Becca Edwards, and they'll be taking over the campaign as I transition into having a baby. Um, so they'll be more than happy to help out. And yeah, just find us on find us find us in the streets. Really, that's where the movement happens. Mm-hmm. Knocking on doors. Knocking on doors. Are you ready, Natasha? Sure. Yeah, okay. you can find me, Nat. Unfortunately, named at Ashes for Foxes on Twitter, but I would highly recommend you just follow my podcast which i don't run the social media for at meta machina and that's spelled meta m-e-t-a machina with an s m-e-m-a-s-h-i-n-a okay i'm garrett you can check out my i i sing country music can you believe it uh and i have recordings now yay 
Our group is called Late Shift. Uh, the website is lateshiftcountry.bandcamp.com. It's a live recording, and it sounds pretty fucking good. And if you want to catch me on Twitter, I don't do much on Twitter, but maybe if you know everyone in the world follows me, I'll, At him. I'll, I'll do more. Uh, I feel like just Jeremy adding me for the last episode of this podcast I there was like three more followers that I got so it's at comrade Garrett on Twitter so at comrade brand you just add, add comrade yeah. add comrade to your name and a rose emoji always I, a rose emoji mine's a duck but everything. it doesn't seem to be hurting me so yeah. uh but yeah that's I think that's where you can find me I guess I, I used to give my phone number out on this podcast but mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it now Don't but ever. if you listen to old episodes you might hear my phone number Girls, <laughs> ladies, I'm, I'm engaged. If you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, email the show at givingthemike at gmail.com. On Twitter, we are at Twitter slash givingthemike. We have our own Patreon, and you two can help us put out the show at merely a dollar a month. Uh, Eat a at, cat. Yeah, yeah, what's your problem? Yeah, at, give a at, dollar. Yeah, at, at uh, patreon.com slash giving the mic. Uh, find us on Facebook and tell all your friends. Facebook.com slash giving the mic, yada, yada, yada. Well, I want to thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This has been a hell of an episode, as so many of them are. Um, uh, uh, going around the table, do any of y'all have any uh, last words? You can put it on my tombstone that I have big dick energy. <laughs> Thanks for thanks for thanks for dating this, but yeah. <laughs> uh, be excellent to one another. And party on, dudes. I don't know how to follow that up. So <laughs> what I'm just gonna say is, uh, yeah, because this podcast was particularly about Medicare for all and all that jazz. What I would really highly advocate for is that the insurance companies are not gonna let us have this. Uh, if we want to win this issue, we need to go out and have as many conversations as we can. And the only way in which we're going to do that is by canvassing. So go out, talk to your neighbors, share your experience, and let's win Medicare for all. Let's do it. Yep, that's true. We should have started with that. Rock and roll. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. I can't believe I said big dick energy. I'm like an asshole. Um, no, I'm serious because it's like I don't really have it, you know. I'm, no, we got buzzed, I'm, and you know what's happening. I'm going we're to being, the store, and I'm like, do you got any of that now. big dick energy? <laughs> do you have any? I, I can't. I gotta buy. I can't. Me as an organizer, when I'm asked for my last words, I can't end on anything other than like, yeah. we have to do something. So do it. A I better was word is to possible. Be ironic. A better world is possible. Than somebody somebody shit. Yeah. yeah. Jesus Christ! I'm like. Homo Vulgaris is the leading cyberpunk dystopia stoner internet occult late capitalist adjective known Russian bot disinfo podcast. The future is now and it sucks. The algorithm is horny but has no desire. We desire to be like it. We offer ourselves up to the invisible machinery of late capitalism, hoping to make it horny for our content, our data, our entire lives and humanity. It's terrible. It's kind of sexy. Listen to Homo Vulgaris. Embrace gay space third impact luxury anime t-shirt communism. Better living through death drive army. Homo vulgaris. Available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else fine podcasts are found.